Chase Owens got the pinfall victory this morning in Corcoran, so that's why I'm wearing his shirt. But hello, everybody, and welcome. It is episode 230 of the No Spots Weekly Wrestling Podcast. And what day is today? Vengeance Day. That's right. NXT Vengeance Day 2024 is Sunday evening. We are actually recording this a few hours prior to that. So, Thank you for listening to this podcast as we are getting ready to talk about Vengeance Day as well as the Royal Rumble. We will also talk about all the fallout from the Royal Rumble and the go-home show for Vengeance Day with this week's NXT where we found out who was going to be in the Dusty Cup, uh, Dusty uh, Rhodes Tatsing Classic Final. We will also talk about everything that happened with AEW. News and notes is going to be crazy because we got an up, we got some updates on the lawsuit against one Vince McMahon, a.k.a. the Dirty Old Bastard. And there's someone who's been co-named as a co-D with Vince McMahon who's gone on the offensive and has become a dirtball rat. We're going to talk about that as well as other news and notes, including a up- health update on good old JR. Plus, how did we go from potentially finishing the story to now this? We'll talk about it, all of that. And then, of course, we will have our final thoughts. I would like to introduce, as always, joining me, my tattoo partner, coming to you from the basement, the regular basement. He is none other than the Dark Lord Sith himself, a.k.a. today, Sith Vengeance. Sith, Yeloska Yachimas. Yes, welcome everyone to the regular basement. Thanks for all followers, lurkers, chatters, subscribers, listeners on our audio platforms, and people finding us for the first time. A warm welcome to you all. I gotta say this off the bat. Subtle in fam, because today's going to be a packed show to say the least, and a lot more fun than people asking me to watch the Children of the Corn franchise. Champ, what's going to people's studios and leave you a good sign? Just another, just another Sunday. Want to say hello to everybody that's in our Twitch chat. First off, thank you to Sith for his gifted sub post Royal Rumble, and it went to our good friend Midwest Viking. So thank you for Sith for providing that for Midwest Viking. Also, want to say hello to Heretic Ninja. You can still fuck off because yeah, that was surprising. <laughs> you can still fuck off though. Anyway, also want to say hi to someone I haven't seen in a very long time. My girl Judy. Judy, good to see you as always, and. Hello to my good friend Sage as well. As you know, me and Sage will be getting back on the podcasting bandwagon uh, next yep. month for the uh, New Japan Cup. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But again, pack show ain't got much time to talk about it. Oh, uh, by the way, Sith, apparently you have a, a a big fan of your TikToks and Judy over there. So there you go. Oh yeah, love her. She's awesome. Anyway, let's get this show started. So without any further ado, referee, you know what to do. Ring the bell. I don't know why I'm this energetic for a podcast. It's been a few weeks since I've been energetic to do a podcast. It's crazy. Anyway. Get off our chest. We're going to be like Punk when he was cutting that pipe bomb, you know, back in 2011. That's what I'm feeling like right now. Yeah, anyway. All right, let's get right in. Let's get right into the the meat and potatoes of of this week. Uh this past the last 2 weeks in wrestling have been absolutely insane with news. And you know, last week's podcast, we talked about the whole Netflix deal with Monday Night Raw. We talked about Dwayne The Rock Johnson joining TKO's board of directors. And then we got hit with the bombshell that Vince McMahon is a dirty old man and we didn't realize how dirty he really was. Well, this week the prevailing news story 
happened on Friday Night SmackDown in the main event segment where Cody Rhodes was supposed to make his decision on who he's going to face at WrestleMania after winning the Royal Rumble for the second year in a row, becoming only the fourth man in the history of the event to win it in back-to-back years. And so... He was out there. Roman was already out there. But then it was a sudden shift where he said he's going to finish the story, but not at WrestleMania, which caught a lot of people off guard. And then when he mentioned somebody he had counseled knows him very well, it immediately became evident to the live crowd who it was. And then the music hit and the pop happened and The Rock came out and went face to face with his cousin, the tribal chief. Well, we have backstage news regarding that, and according to some backstage sources, Rock was the one who pushed this very super hard, apparently, to make this match happen, and it also was a push because of the injury to CM Punk during the Royal Rumble, where he suffered that torn tricep in his right arm, leading to him having to be out of WrestleMania, and because of the removal of Brock Lesnar, because of the fact that he was, it was implied that he was the UFC heavyweight champion, that they were trying to use uh, Janelle Grant to entice to re-sign with WWE back in 2020, uh, so they they're, they they're distancing themselves from from Lesnar at this point. So now this Rock is trying to I guess in his, in in words of those sources save WrestleMania because of the missing the, the two those two being missing. And now it looks like Cody is going to go the route of going up against Seth Rollins for the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania, which will most likely be on night one with Rock and Roman closing out night two. Uh, so a lot of things things have happened and. Uh, you know, again, other sources have reported that, you know, he was going, he was pushing this regardless, uh, even given the fact that he has $30 million in stock uh, with TKO and it's contingent upon hitting certain milestones. So that may be, uh, and one of those milestones speculate is speculated to be a return to the ring. So that's where we're at right here. It was uh, pushed by The Rock to have this match happen at WrestleMania and apparently it was, it was came from the deal the 30 million dollar stock deal that he signed to become a member of the board of directors and it came with a milestone including making a return to the ring ah uh, Sith, ah uh, Sith. we got a lot lot to talk about here what's going on uh six shop we got a lot uh, there's a lot to unpack here Sith. a lot to unpack here we thought we're gonna get the he's gonna get to finish the story of wrestlemania rock did show up at day one the raw ed- edition of day one and made the comment about eating at the head of the table. So a lot of people felt, okay, maybe we're not finishing the story. Maybe it is going to the Rock. Then Cody wins the Rumble. We're going to finish the story. Now we have this. It is Rock and Roman. What 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 all do you have to say about all of this? I knew I picked the wrong day to stop drinking tea. Uh, there we go. Sorry, folks. Look. <sighs> Dave LaGreca said it best on the Busted Open podcast that he did, the special one. Cody has relinquished what he had been shooting for for a year and is now going for the consolation prize. Let let me say that again. He is relinquishing, at least for now, not to finish the story, but to go for the consolation prize because of all of the shit that's happening. I call bullshit. 
I am getting vibes of WrestleMania 9. And Champ knows I do not like how that card ends. Champ knows that for a bona fide fact that whenever I watch the ending to WrestleMania 9, I get pissed off. Because remind everybody, remind, remember, we have some non-wrestling fans I'm, in our chat. Remind everybody what you mean by that. Okay, y'all. Let me hit rewind here for people that don't watch wrestling. At WrestleMania 9, 1993, the main event was supposed to be Bret Hart versus Yokozuna for the WWF World Championship. Yokozuna was supposed to go over. Okay? And Brett thought, okay, Hogan's going to put me over here. Okay, fine. But Hogan had no intention of putting over Bret Hart at all. And instead, Hogan went to Vince, politicked his way into getting a match against Yokozuna. So that way, the heel didn't get over. Hulk Hogan went over. And everyone got screwed in that scenario except for Hogan. And you can watch the one, two, three, the whole nine yards. It is not good at all to watch. And I used to love The Rock. But now I'm looking and I'm like, bruh, you're turning into someone who you were supposed to be the opposite of. You know, all this time you were supposed to be the opposite of Hulk Hogan. Now you're turning into Hulk Hogan. Just because you're on the board doesn't mean politic your way into the main event at WrestleMania. And according to Fightful Select, rumoredly winning the match at WrestleMania and becoming universal champion. It, this was not good at all. Champ, I, I'm going to leave it to you by... I'm very disappointed in The Rock. Yeah. Um, I have mixed feelings about this. I have mixed feelings about this. On the on the one hand, you know, Rock made the, the comment at day one that he's going to eat at the head of the table. He wants to eat at the head of the table. So he made the comment. So we knew a match between them was going to happen this year. So I was anticipating a match between them this year. But then Cody wins the Royal Rumble for the second year in a row. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe the match will still happen. It'll happen like Elimination Chamber or maybe even further down the road, SummerSlam or something like that. But then we had what happened Friday night. And anybody who's known me long enough knows that The Rock is my top five favorite uh, wrestlers of all time. He's top five. Like, I, I've always been a fan of The Rock. I've always been a fan of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You know, when he went off to Hollywood and we only saw him sparingly, like, it made the heart grow fonder. Every time I saw him, I got excited. Now, I will f disclose, I got spoiled that this happened before I even watched SmackDown uh, Saturday morning because when I woke up Saturday morning, I had nothing but YouTube notifications from Denise Salcedo and uh, and Colt all and all them saying Rock versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. I'm like, really, guys? Like, y'all couldn't just say breaking news from SmackDown, and that would've been it. No, you had to put in there that that's what happened. So I'm like, well, this is no surprise. This is not gonna be a surprise. It's about to happen. So, but 
I can't say is I'm a fan of this because of the whole finish the story narrative that has been played out for the entirety for for half for over half a year. From when he lost from when he lost to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 39 in LA last year, all the way through to his um rivalry with Brock Lesnar and then his rivalry with Shinsuke. All the narrative was was finish the story. And all signs point to him finishing the story in Philadelphia. But then The Rock decided now's the time for him and Roman to finally have their 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 go. I think it's just it's bad timing. It's a bad move on The Rock's part. But Cody is showing that he's the ultimate company man. He's he's like you know what let's you know we'll we'll do it whatever 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 you know. Because I'm pretty sure anybody else in Cody's shoes would have fought back. Even if Rock is on the board, somebody would have said so he. I, I'm sure Cody had his had his had his words about it. But at the end of the day, probably just say, you know what, just whatever, you know. But I just think that the timing is the timing is rotten. The timing is rotten for WrestleMania. Um, because now we go from having the finish the story narrative to now this. Now I'm interested to see where, you know, how the story progresses from here. All we know is that, you know, The Rock and, and Roman, they just stared eye to eye at each other as this, as the show went off the air. No words were spoken between the two of them. So that's gonna that leaves the blank canvas of for the next two months figuring out what is Rock's motivation for wanting to face his cousin for the title? That's where I, that's what I want to know. So we'll keep an eye. Um, we'll keep we'll keep an eye on this on this whole thing, and we'll keep an eye on it. And of course, we'll talk about it in the week in review because, of course, you know it's going to be compelling TV. Both of these guys are. are polarizing in, uh, uh, individuals so we'll be talking about it in the weeks to come in the lead up to Wrestlemania uh, we want to move on to some positive uh, health news now uh, as you know good old JR Jim Ross the Hall of Famer has been dealing with uh, different types of cancers over the years and other multitude of health issues over the years which is why he has limited his time uh, being on commentary for AEW also it was talk from his mouth as from his mouth as well via his podcast uh grill and jr that his contract should be up at uh by the uh, summertime i believe well a new update uh from the hall of famer himself uh via twitter that he had a uh, procedure done to remove cancer from his right hip and he provided he said thank you to all the support that he received saying quote had cancer surgery this morning on my right hip all went well thanks for all your love and support um uh the Pro wrestling, the longtime pro wrestling commentator has had to deal with uh, skin cancer back in 2021. He had a bad fall last year, which was evident by the black eye he had when he was on collision. Um, he also had to deal with uh, complications from diabetes, including blood sugar spikes, uh, a leg wound that was that was causing issues, even you know, especially when he was flying, and things like that. That's why the only other uh, appearances he's made for AEW in the past couple of months has been when they came to Oklahoma uh, in this in November, uh, when they had when they were there in Oklahoma, and then in December, uh, when they, uh, when they. He, 
they had the match between John Moxley and Jay White, as well as when they were at Daly's place for homecoming. So uh, it, it's been tough for Jr. <coughs> it's been tough for Jr. But it looks like he hopefully will, you know, overcome this one, and hopefully he will return. Sip your thoughts. Yeah, I I worry about Jr. Because one thing that he does do from time to time during his pod is he still smokes on screen, and it just worries me because the smoking doesn't help where it comes to skin cancer. It really doesn't. Um, weed's one thing, but cigarettes, nah, you know, that's not helping. And, you know, I'm glad that he's recovering. That's a good thing. But I worry about the old man, Jay, the good old JR, because he's one of the legends, you know, I have him on my Mount Rushmore of guys who do commentary along with Gordon Soley and two other people because those are the guys, because he's one of the guys that when he calls a wrestling match or a wrestling show, it's like having a guest in your living room for a couple of hours. And I don't want him to go because he's just so fucking awesome. So prayers and Godspeed wishes and healing vibes out to good old JR champ. We love the guy. Absolutely. Uh, definitely prayers, but you know, in life there's, there are many things that are inevitable death taxes and, uh, a woman being pissed off for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to, I had to anyway, but no death is inevitable. And I know that eventually JR's time will come. Um, but at least right now we still have him for, uh, for as long as we are, we are going to have him. So, uh, continue best wishes to JR and hopefully, uh, he'll be back in the commentary booth sooner rather than later. Cause you know, I miss his style of commentary. You know, he tells great stories and he has such a knowledge of wrestling that is very very underrated honestly you know so uh best oh, wishes to him hey champ there's other yes. one other inevitable thing hulk hogan's still trying to act like he's god when he's really a shithead right yeah pretty much all right we're going to move on and uh one of the one of the three aew programs that they have on tv is going to be looking at a change in their schedule next month due to sports and we're talking about none other than aew rampage who since all since it would premiered on august of 2021 has usually been taped after dynamite and aired on friday nights uh unless there's you know there's a free there's a live one because a, a pay-per-view or any other issue but they have never aired both dynamite and rampage back to back until next month uh andrew zarian went to twitter on thursday morning to report that dynamite and rampage will air live on march the 20th because of the ncaa men's march madness tournament uh the tournament begins on the 19th and it will be aired across all because both cbs and warner brothers discovery networks tnt cbs and true tv uh that will include games that will take place on friday march the 22nd in the time slot of rampage which is 10 p.m eastern standard time um <clears throat> excuse me 
So basically, this is not going to be the first time that Rampage has been preempted due to uh, coverage of a sporting event. This will be the first time that the show will air on a different night. Uh, previous times that they have been ex uh, preempted, uh, they've been moved to different time slots earlier on on Fridays, but have stayed on Fridays, <laughs> including... Uh, the NH with the, with the NHL playoffs uh, showing up uh, airing on TNT, they had to move a a few times because of that. Uh, but right now, it is unclear if the only time that the that Rampage will air on a different night because of the March Madness tournament uh, or anything like that, because you know. <clears throat> with the Sweet 16 and everything like that. So we'll keep an eye on it, on it, and I'm pretty sure there will be announcements on AEW television when it comes to uh, when it comes to AEW Rampage and things of that nature, uh, maybe even Collision as well. Uh, Seth, you talk about this one. I mean, this is, yeah, interest, interesting new note to, to talk about. It's intriguing, yeah. It's intriguing, I'll give you that. Because, you know, as Champ said, unless it's a lead into a pay-per-view, Rampage, you never get live. So hopefully that Wednesday night, you know, 10 o'clock live will be good, you know, for the show itself. But like what I've said before, Rampage is a good hour-long show. That when it's consistent, it's good. And it's something you can turn your mind off and just follow stuff up, which is a good thing. So I think it'll work for it to be on right after Dynamite. You just bleed it right in and just go right to it. Champ. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also the, that that very episode, that very day with uh, Dynamite and Rampage, it'll be part of the Canadian tour that is going to be taking place in the middle of March. Uh, it'll be at the Coca-Cola Coliseum in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, and it'll be part of a huge month that uh, AEW expected to have, which will begin with the... Um, which will begin with Revolution on the third, where it will be Sting, the last match of Sting's career, as well as uh, other matches that are being scheduled for the Revolution Revolution pay per view. So big, big uh, news development for March that they're going to be uh, having Rampage live immediately after Dynamite. So I'll definitely have to make sure the DVR is set correctly so that I can record both those shows and watch them that Thursday morning. All right, we have some updates when it comes to the lawsuit of one Vince McMahon on accusations of sex trafficking and sexual assault that was uh, filed in court by former employee Janelle Grant. Well, it's gotten a little bit worse for the former chairman and CEO of the company as it's being reported by the Wall Street Journal that he is being investigated by federal authorities. Uh, according to the report, individuals that are close to the investigation revealed to them that New York prosecutors have spoken with women accusing the 78-year-old former executive of sexual misconduct. Uh, they said that the investigation has been going on in recent months. Uh, Wall Street Journal did reach out to WWE about that, and of course, the promotion did not respond. Uh, as you know... The journal was also the one that broke the news about hush money payments that McMahon was making uh, for uh, to four women to, uh, who had sex, who he had sex, been sexually misconduct with uh, in in the past. 
And apparently federal agents issued a warrant for McMahon's phone. Uh, they also served grand jury subpoenas for documents relating to allegations of, quote, rape, sex trafficking, sexual assault, commercial sex transactions, harassment, or discrimination against past or present staff. Uh, communications between McMahon and past and, and, and uh, accusers, including Grant, were also requested. So that's not all in terms of the updates when it comes to um, this 67-page lawsuit that Grant filed against McMahon. He was, uh, the other, there were two others that were named defendants in this lawsuit. One of them was the WWE comp as a company, but also John Laurinaitis was named as a co-conspirator, a co-defendant in this lawsuit. Well, John Laurinaitis went out on the offensive. He said, he released a statement his lawyer released a statement on his behalf, which was picked up by Vice News, and the former head of talent relations maintains that he is a victim of this case, much like the plaintiff, Janelle Grant. Quote, Mr. Laurinaitis denies the allegations in the misguided complaint and will be vigorously defending these charges in court, not the media. Like the plaintiff, like the plaintiff Mr. Laurinaitis is a victim in this case, not a predator. The truth will come out. So, the dirty old bastard is now being investigated by the feds. His code D is a scumbag rat who said he's the victim. Sith, I need you to pull out your piece and start shooting on this one, please. Yeah, as I said, the old man's about to shoot. Champ, you ready for the old man to shoot? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Let's go. First and foremost, don't do John Laurinaitis. Look, I know you're trying to save face with your marriage right now, John, but sit down and shut the fuck up. Nobody believes you at all. Nobody. We all know you're an absolute scumbag. You're just having your lawyer out, trying to shoot on Vince. When deep down, odds are you did exactly what you wanted to do because you just don't give a shit for human life or have any respect for human beings as a whole. So go fuck yourself. Bye. Gone. See ya. Or as the cuck would say, thank you. Fuck you. Bye. And <laughs> it's too super sad. I couldn't have done it. I have a wife and my stepdaughters, they're WWE divas. <laughs> he can go. Not just WWE divas, WWE Hall of Famers. Yep, even though they don't, they're not in WWE right now under Legends deals. It still counts as being in the Hall of Fame, in my view. But now we get to Vince's latest troubles. And shout out to Jeff Canarsi of Mob Talk Radio, which y'all can find on YouTube because he talked about this the other night. He shot hard on this for like twenty minutes on this, and he usually doesn't cover McMahon or wrestling, but. The feds have been investigating Vince since J July of last year. So I have a question for the board. I have a question for Ari Emanuel. I have a question for him as well. If y'all knew that Vince was a liability and that his actions in the past could have been a liability for the company, why did y'all vote for him to come back and be on the board? You could have unanimously blocked him. But you didn't. You allowed him to pull his weight and give him, at the time, minority stake in the company. 
And my other question is, who else knew before these investigations about the conduct? Because those people should be fired. Those people should be fired. If you had knowledge of what was going on and you said nothing, which would have protected a lot of people, your ass deserves to be fired. I don't care who you are. Because at some point, people need... The victims have to be protected. They have to have a voice where it comes to being victims of this conduct. And just saying, oh, well, Vince has removed himself and, oh, or the federal government's having a well, big fucking whoopee-doo. And t I want to do more than justice. I don't want a settlement to all this, champ. I want this to go to discovery. I want this whole thing to go to discovery. You see, if the plaintiff, God bless her, I hope she heals. I hope that spiritually she can get some peace from all of this. But if she allows it to go to discovery and not take a settlement, that is something McMahon and his lawyers cannot afford. So you better believe they're throwing money at this woman, right? And I'm going, please. Please, we don't want to. If, if this goes to discovery, you think what Champ and I are discussing right now is bad? Wait till discovery comes on, because I can guarantee you that when if we go to discovery with this, oh God, shit's going to hit the fan. Yeah, and two super, you got a point. It's so weird because we've seen Vince write in book Wild Storylines. We were Jerry Lauder in commentary in the early 2000s. I'll take it even further. Even back in the Attitude Era, the stuff that was booked and shot and proposed. You could see certain things happen. And I think it was Tori Wilson who came out earlier this week and said... A lot of the girls felt very uncomfortable with the stuff that was happening in the 2000s. So there's a lot going on here that meets the eye. Vince, go fuck yourself. Champ, I toss it to you. And for that that interview with Tori Wilson, that was with Chris Van Vliet. That's on his YouTube channel right now. Go check it out. I actually saw a clip. Actually, there was a clip that he posted on, on Instagram about that segment that she had with Tori, with Don Marie and her real-life father where she was beating her around the ring and everything like that. And according to Tori Wilson herself, that was a shoot receipt for all the times that Dawn Marie kicked her too hard. And she instead and, and she tried to tell her about it instead of actually giving her a receipt. So finally in that segment was all the pent-up anger and she gave her a receipt. And apparently after that segment, Dawn Marie didn't kick her hard anymore after that. So just a little story that you can learn about on uh, Chris Van Vliet's podcast, Insights. Uh, uh, very good podcast outside of ours. So there you go. Uh, one another part of that statement that Lauren Ice put out there uh, about regarding this lawsuit. Quote: Read when he was um, no not no what is another statement. Uh, his lawyer uh, was asked this question. His lawyer, whose name is Edward Brennan, he was asked uh, if. If Laurenitis was claiming that McMahon was the whole predator in the whole thing and in, in the whole grand scheme of things, uh, Brennan wrote, quote, read the allegations, read the federal statute, power, control, employment, supervisory capacity, dictatorial sexual demands with repercussions if not met. Count how many times the in the complaint 
Vince exerts control over both of them, end quote. So, the bottom line is that clearly, you know, John Laurinaitis is going on the offensive and basically saying, you know, he's my boss, he made me do it. That's 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 the route it seems like Laurinaitis is going. He's trying to say, my boss made me do it. I mean, we don't know what happened here. We can only go by what was presented in terms of this lawsuit. You know, it's supposed to be, you know, innocent until proven guilty or, you know, not liable until found liable. In this case, it's a, it's a lawsuit, it's a civil matter. It's kind of hard to not already kind of have this preconceived notion that both of these individuals are guilty based on what we already know from these two from the allegations that came out back in 2022 which led to mcmahon uh resigning originally back in back in july of 2022 before using his power as a majority board member as a majority stockholder to bully his way back in to a, a position of power okay so the bottom line is, is that right now it is looking absolutely bad for Vince, it's absolutely looking bad for Laurinaitis because he's claiming that he's the victim, which is now he's basically putting himself as culpable in in the actions that were alleged in this lawsuit. But he's now trying to say that he's not culpable for it because he was under duress. Maybe you know his job was threatened or something. Who knows? We won't know until, like Sip said, this goes to discovery, right? But. I can't. I just cannot be sympathetic to John Laurinaitis. I can't. I can't. I can't because it. What well, you to you? If 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 that's the defense that he's going for, that he felt like this was threatening his job if he didn't do this. So your job was more important than the safety and the safety of a female employee. That's that's what you're saying to me. Because if that's the case, I definitely have zero sympathy for you. Matter of fact, I have negative sympathy for you. If your if a job was more important than the safety and well-being of female employees that were part of this company, I'm an HR. I've been an HR professional for over a decade. One of the thing, one of the main things a company is supposed to provide is safety and a great a, a safe environment for workers, regardless of gender. And WWE has proven with this lawsuit when it was under the control of Vincent Mann that they did not do that. So I agree with Siv. I don't want a settlement. There should not be a settlement. Miss Grant should not accept a settlement. This needs to go all the way through, no matter how long it takes, because then it will expose what has been a culture. Because this is a cultural thing. And this has clearly been going on long enough because of the fact that this man felt emboldened to just continue to do it into his 60s and 70s. So clearly this is a cultural thing that's been going on for a long time. This needs to be exposed just like the darkest part of professional wrestling was exposed back in the summer of 2020 with the speaking out movement. We need a new speaking out movement 2024 and this lawsuit is going to be that speak this is going to kick off that speaking out movement I feel it in my heart. I think that's what's going to happen. Anyway, so that's it for our news and notes for this week. Again, of course, we will keep an eye on the situation with Vince McMahon and his
this lawsuit and any new updates, any motions, anything like that, we will bring it to you as part of our news and notes segment on the podcast whenever we get it. Anyway, now it's time to switch gears really quickly to our New Japan recap. Uh, and when we were going to do the podcast on Saturday, it was only going to be a preview of the next two nights of the Road, New, Road to New Beginning tour in Corcoran Hall. But there was a show this morning, Saturday, Sunday morning in Corcoran Hall. And some quick results here. Uh, Togi Makabe teamed with Yoshihashi, Bolton Oleg, El Desperado, Shota Umino. They took on all of House of Torture. Of course, Dick Togo was there. Uh, thanks to a spit, uh, some Satori whisk, uh, whiskey in the eyes of Makabe. After then, after that, it was everything is evil. The House of Torture were victorious, and then Evil decided to deface the Never Open Weight Championship belt by spraying black paint, uh, spray paint, uh, paint on the belt, blacking it out. Uh, in front of Shota Umino, which led to Shota chasing him out of the uh, ring. But at that point, it was too late. The belt has now been officially defaced. The match went 9 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, Chase Owens, as I mentioned in the intro, got the victory for his team, himself, Taiji Shimori, and Kenta. They defeated Tomaki Homa and G.O.D., El Fantasma, and Hikuleo, the current uh, double tag team champions that match went 11 minutes and 30 seconds and an eight-man tag and with the sleeper zach sabre jr along with mikey nichols shane hayes and kosei fuji tmdk defeated yo ryusuke taguchi tomohiro ishii and hiroshi tanahashi uh in the continued battle of just five guys versus lij once again went the way of just five guys with yuya yuramura tapping out yoda suji with a cross with a cross arm breaker and yuya just like yoda tapped out immediately almost and that gives another victory for just five guys they get ready for their gauntlet match that's going to main event the second straight night in corkland on monday uh, also we had a series of singles matches we had three singles matches that would lead up to the Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship main event and the preview of the United Empire versus the Bullet Club War Dogs. The fifth match was supposed to be Jeff Cobb versus Alex Coughlin, but Cobb suffered an injury to his quad that was not too serious, but uh, they pulled they pulled him from the, the show as a precaution. The great Ocon, the KOPW 2024 champion, took his place, and in a hard-fought, hard-hitting matchup, 12 minutes and 5 seconds, Great Ocon was able to hit the Eliminator and then use a jackknife pin uh, to be able to pin down Alex Coggan to get the victory. Then in the second match of the uh, the second match of the, the series between the War Dogs and the United Empire, Hanari and Gabe Kidd beat each other so much, hit each other so hard that they couldn't answer the referee's 10 count. And at 20 minutes and 27 seconds, it was a knockout draw between the face of Fury and the war-ready gay kid. Neither man can answer the ref's 10 count. And again, the match is just so hard-hitting and so physical between these two. Then we would see David Finley with the overkill take down Callum Newman. Uh, it's 10 minutes and 27 seconds for the IWGP Global Heavyweight Champion to dispatch the youngest, the youngest member of the United Empire. And then in the main event, in their first defense, in their sec, in their third reign as IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, it was a a V zero reign for Catch Twenty Two as the 
War Dogs team of Clark Connors and Driller Maloney were able to get the full clip to get the victory and to become two-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions after the matchup. Uh, they decided they was going to try to get some extra licks in the catch 2-2, but uh, luckily, well, United Empire tried to intervene. Unfortunately, uh, they were dispatched by the rest of the War Dogs, and they were able to celebrate at the end with David Finley ending off talking on the microphone. It was revealed in a backstage in backstage comments uh, after the show uh, that Driller Maloney is actually working this tour with a torn bicep. Uh, he actually showed the injury uh, on the camera, so he's a torn bicep, but he's still working uh, the, the tour and going through it. So, you know, eventually he will most likely uh, be taking time off to get that taken care of. But my goodness, I mean, that's not a, that's not a, a, an injury that's uh, going to make you feel any good or anything like that. But uh 13 minutes and 33 seconds, we have new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. Now, the other, the next night, tomorrow night, Monday night in Corkland, or Monday morning here in the United States, we will see uh, Katsuya Marishima taking on the Great Okan. So the Great Okan will once again be in action. We will see Jado joining the uh, strong and IWGP Heavyweight Tag Champions, Phantasmo and Hikaleo, against Ishimori, Owens, and Kenta. We will also see Bolton Oleg teaming with Yo. Homa, Despi, and and uh, Umino to take on the House of Torture. Yano joins Makabe, Ishii, and Tanahashi to take on TMDK. We will see the Bullet Club War Dogs against the United Empire, and we will see in the main event the Faction Warfare Gauntlet match between LIJ and Just Five Guys. The rules of the match are uh, it will be individual five ten minute singles matches and then when it's the down to the last member of each unit the last match will be a no time limit matchup to determine a winner so that's what's set up for tomorrow for monday night in corkwin hall with uh that main event happening and that's what's going on in new japan and also you can check out uh, new japan's website they actually have an ongoing story of the long-time rivalry between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Okada in advance of their final matchup against each other on on February 11th next Sunday in uh in Osaka and we will have we will talk about that next week's recap as well but um yeah things are starting to pick up in Japan and now it's time to pick things up back here on the United States soil. We have two pay-per-views to talk about in this segment. We have what happened at the Royal Rumble in St. Petersburg, Florida at Tropicana Field and then we got to look ahead to Vengeance Day which is taking place Sunday night uh, on uh, on Peacock. We have a lot to cover so we're going to get right into it. Before we get into it though, um, again, you know, I try to look at our Twitch chat and respond to certain things and things like that. So, I, Alex, who always brings us some very unique scenarios, put in a very unique scenario highlighted in our chat room, and I wanted to read it off and get Sif's thoughts, and then I'll give my thoughts before we move on. I have a solution for the rock mess. Contract signing between Rock and Roman. Roman is cocky, signs it right away. Rock signs. Then says, you didn't read the contract, did you? Cody's music hits. Cody versus Roman at Mania. Rock is guest referee. Cody just pulled the ultimate swerve to make sure he gets a clean match at Mania. Thoughts? 
Okay, that I would be good with. Mind you, it would set the internet on complete fire even just as much as, as it's been on fire the last 36 hours or so. But that I would like. You know, oh, because that rarely happens where it comes to a contract signing where you don't read the contract, you just sign it arrogantly, and then your opponent is actually the person you were supposed to see. And the special enforcer is your cousin to make sure that you lose clean or at least lose without a lot of shenanigans. So I'd be on board with that. But the problem is with all the reports right now, I don't see it happening. But Champ, what's your take? I can imagine this scenario playing out and then Rock costs Cody the championship. <laughs> like, imagine? Like, imagine? Yeah. Um, oh. No, um, I will say this, Alex. I, I actually do like if they like it. I would like it if they did go that route. I don't foresee yeah. them going that route, but I would like it all the same because of the fact that then we will get to finish the story, but then you leave. Seth out you leave Seth out in the lurch unless unless Walter steps up and challenges him or Walter wins the elimination chamber and becomes the number one contender because we all know that whoever the Royal Rumble match winner picks, if there's not already a number one contender established for the other champion, there's usually an elimination chamber match to determine that challenger for WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. um, so if they do pull this swerve and have Cody still end up facing Roman with Rock being the special guest referee, then, yeah, Walter will enter the elimination chamber. Walter will win the elimination chamber. And Walter, oh. the longest-rated intercontinental champion of all time, will challenge Seth Rollins for the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania and. um yeah, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I feel that's going to happen. And champ, prove me wrong. Hinari and Gabe Kid, they beat the piss out of each other. Dude, I watch. <laughs> look, so I was up early enough this morning that I caught it live. I missed oh the first God. match. I missed the first match live, and I was. I caught. And I pulled up New, the New Japan World app and turned it on in the middle of the, like, I think around the start of the second match. So I pretty mm -hmm. much saw most of the show except for that one. So I went back and watched what happened before the second match, which saw Jeff Cobb get jumped by the Bullet Club War Dogs. And then they had the first match, which I talked about. But I was watching that match. I mean, they were just beating the crap out of each other, man. Like, I was just like, I was sitting up there just like, this is why I don't wrestle. This is why. I just can't do it. I know. Uh, -uh. you're not about to hit me like that. Town. Those guys just went to town on each other. Yeah. Anyway, but um, no, that was a good one, Alice. It was. It was good to think about that. Um, yeah. It was. It was good to think about that and, and things like that. So, all right, let's talk about the Royal Rumble again. We'll get to your comments in the Twitch chat uh, afterwards. But right now, let's yeah. talk about the Royal Rumble. Of course, no pre-show matches, no kickoff show matches. We went right straight to the action at 8 p.m. with the women's Royal Rumble matchup that started things off with a shot at a women's championship of their choice at uh, the Royal Rumble. And here are the order of entrance uh, for this Royal Rumble. We started off with Natalia at number one representing Raw. And then we brought in Naomi as the first surprise right off the bat. First surprise, Naomi's back in WWE after finishing up her stint in TNA where she was TNA Knockouts Champion. 
Bailey would be third to come in. Then Candice LeRae would join at number four. But then the shock that came up that has Heretic busting my balls. And by the way, how you doing, Sexy Panda? That has Heretic busting my balls before we even turn the cameras on. Yes. Jordan Grace comes in at number five, the TNA Knockouts World Champion, joining the fray to a huge pop. Again, I was under the impression these people wasn't going to know who she is, but as soon as her music hit, they knew exactly who she was. And they yes. and she got a huge pop. So Grace comes in at number five. Indy Hartwell follows at number six. Oscar then comes in, represented SmackDown at number seven. Then we had back-to-back -back, uh, Raw entrance, Ivy Nile, and then Katana Chance. Bianca Belair would follow at number 10. And then Kyrie Sane at number 11, both representing SmackDown. Tegan Knox would join the fray along with Kate and Carter at 13, Chelsea Green at 14, Piper Nevin at 15, and Zia Lee at 16, where the crowd went mild. Poor Zaya. She had so much momentum coming out. She she had some momentum coming out of NXT, and then they just ruined her. Poor girl. Selena Vega would be next at number 17. Then Maxine Dupree would be in at number 18. Nia Jax came in at number 19. Shotzi at number 20. Becky Lynch at number 21. Kaylee Ray at number 22. Shayna Baszler at 23. So no surprises yet. Uh, after we already gotten a couple of surprises early on. Meechin, like Val uh, Shayna Baszler, Valhalla, then Meechin, Zoe Stark. Then we would get the NXT folks. We would get Roxanne Perez at number 27. But then another huge pop from this matchup. Jay Cargill making her in-ring debut, and everybody went absolutely crazy. After that, Tiffany Stratton made her debut on the main roster in this matchup at 29, and then Liv Morgan get, being the final surprise in the match, making her return after dealing with a shoulder injury. She was back and was ended up being in the final three of this matchup. Now, some math for you here. Uh, of course, we know that Bailey lasted the longest in this matchup, setting a new record for longest uh, time as an entry into the Women's Royal Rumble match at one hour, three minutes, and three seconds with seven eliminations. The shortest person, the person that was in there, the shortest was Valhalla because of our truth, which was Who that was that was brilliant. Culture. That was brilliant. He came in and said, why is there all women in here? And then Nia Jax eliminated him. Valhalla yeah. got in the ring for five seconds, and then she was out. So, uh, poor girl. Anyway, Bailey was able to win it, last eliminating uh, Jake, last eliminating Liv Morgan, who eliminated Jay Cargill, uh, to be able to get the victory. And Bailey is now going to WrestleMania, uh, the challenge for championship. We'll talk about who she's challenging for championship later on in the week yeah. in review. Uh, but Sid... What did you think about the women's Royal Rumble match? Of the two Rumble matches, this was actually the better of the two at the end of the day upon rewatch. Better surprises, better shock returns, etc. This was a match that was really enjoyable and told a good story, including Jordan Grace with the TNA Knockouts Championship and her friendship slash rivalry with Naomi. Bailey gave us a solid winner here. That will go into the aftermath of that during the week in review. Jake Cargill should offer her huge strength as well. And for those saying that she didn't look good, sorry, this one's for you. 65 minutes, your total match time. And what was a really good women's match? Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, Jay Cargill was able to pick up Nia Jax, though it looked like Nia was kind of sandbagging her a little bit. Uh, that's probably wow. why it looked the way it did. I think Nia might have sandbagged her a little bit, but Jay was able to show that straight. She managed to get three eliminations in the 11 minutes and three seconds that she was in the ring uh, before she was eliminated by uh, Lib Morgan at the end, which led to Lib being eliminated by Bailey, getting Bailey to be the victor. Uh, Naomi had the second longest time in the in the Rumble match. She lasted an hour and two two minutes and 18 seconds, so she temporarily had the record when she was eliminated. Uh, when she was the 25th eliminated from the matchup before Bailey continued on and would eventually set a new record at one hour, three minutes, and three seconds. All right. And also, by the way, Jordan Grace lasted 19 minutes and 10 seconds in the match but didn't record a single elimination. She didn't really need to either because she just, no. just her being there and just the showing her skill set and her move set was just enough. She didn't really need an elimination. She, she showed, she did enough in there in that 19 minutes and 10 seconds to really let people know what's going on. All right. Next up, and what was a very questionable move by WWE and by Triple H. The undisputed WWE Universal Championship match was the second match on the card. The fatal four-way featuring champ Roman Reigns and his challengers, AJ Styles, LA Knight, and Randy Orton with Roman Reigns uh, surviving with the spirit of AJ Styles to get the pinfall victory. The match went 19 minutes and 30 seconds, and the reign of Reigns continues. Sith, what did you think about this Fatal 4-Way? Number one, its placement on the card, and number two, the match itself. All right, pull over the pot here. This should have opened the show. Given that we knew that the men's Rumble match likely closes the show, this should have swapped with the women's Rumble. You open with the 4-Way, do the women's Rumble, do Logan KO, men's Rumble, Close show. That's how I would have done it, but that's just me at the end of the day. Now, for a four-way match that you thought was going to be bamboozled with a lot of bloodline shenanigans, this match actually scaled back the shenanigans in a very good way, but why did Solo come out looking like his typical mysterious henchman, though? It was a fatal four-way Solo didn't need to come out as a mystery. It was completely legal for him to get involved in the match. The match overall was good and thankfully, as I said, subverted expectations because Roman's win was mainly clean. By the time Roman finished as your winner, Solo was recovering from a barricade spot. So Solo wasn't involved in the direct ending of the match. And thank you to Super. There is no DQ in a Fatal 4-Way. 1930s your match time in a match that I'm happy subverted expectations a little bit, champ. Yeah, I mean, it was it was what it was. I mean, you have four of the top guys on SmackDown. It did what it had to do, which was put Roman on one of the big four pay-per-views defending that championship. You had three guys who you definitely couldn't make a decision on which one should go one-on-one -on -one with Roman, so why not put them all in the matchup and see what happens? And what happens is Roman continues to reign. Donnie said it best in our group chat, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm going to pull back the curtain here. Donnie has been on the money with this, and I've, I'm on board with this theory that WWE wants Roman Reigns to break the record that Hulk Hogan has set for the longest reign as a WWE champion, and he he has he has till September to do so. 
September is when it'll happen. But the way, only way he's going to get there is through these this this type of of path that they're on. So yeah. I think it's going to happen. Should it happen? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Right now, I'm on the fence with it. But I, I agree with this theory that, that Donnie has with this, that he, you know, they Donnie. want that to happen. What's that? Sean Ross Sapp had a very good point, though. The key record should never be broken, and that's Bruno. Yeah, His, no, I agree. Sapp's attitude is he doesn't acknowledge any of the previous title holds records. The only one he recognizes is Bruno San Martino. And, and the way that they've been presenting Roman over the last year and a half, that would be a major mistake for him to be Bruno's record. That's why I think that I would be fine if he broke Hogan's, if he got if he passed Hogan, but don't pass Bruno. Yeah, roided headed motherfucker. Anyway. <laughs> so and then also also I'm gonna go back to your point about how you would have structured the card having this having this match open. Yeah. I, me, I would have flip-flopped the the undisputed universal title match and the US title match. I would have had that be after right. the women's Royal Rumble match. Let them get their shit out the way. Then have this match here and then the men's Royal Rumble match. That's just me though. I can you can't have a world title match be before a mid-card title match. That just makes zero sense to me, especially if it's not in the main event, you know? The mid-card title should be before the world title match. I don't care who's involved in it. Period. Speaking of that mid-card title match, it was Logan Paul defending the United States Championship against Kevin Owens. It was a good back-and-forth matchup. Uh, it's clear that Logan Paul is really dedicating himself to this craft of professional wrestling. Uh, they had a good back-and-forth matchup, but in the end, after Logan Paul tried to use his trick of using one of his guys from his impulsive crew to get him brass nuts, KO was able to stop it from being used on him, use it on him, use it on Paul, but forgot to discard the evidence. And as the ref was counting, he saw the brass knucks on his hand, immediately called for a disqualification. It went, the match was 14 minutes uh, flat, but Logan Paul was able to retain before being powerbombed through the announce table as the segment ended. Uh, Seth, what did you think about our United States Championship match? A lot like with Roman being predictable with his wins and bloodline shenanigans, you have Logan Paul now waiting on a lot of help to retain the United States Championship here. The match was really good on rewatch, but overall, though, I think the ending was very much a case of doing too much production-wise, leaving aside Logan Paul to get his comeuppance after the match and going through the announcer's table. This was a good match, but the ending, very overproduced and predictable. 14 minutes your match time. I mean, that is, that is one point to make. Again, like I said, I think that the DQ finish was the best way forward because yeah. I think they're going to angle towards a rematch at WrestleMania, at which point either Logan Paul wins clean and retains or Kevin Owens wins the championship at WrestleMania, which will make it two years in a row that he wins a championship at WrestleMania. Think about yeah. that for a second. Oh, shit. I, you know what's funny? So we were talking about that news. We were talking about that news story about the backstage student story of The Rock and Roman and stuff like that. I just mm -hmm. thought about something. I had a theory that hit my that hit me yesterday as I was just sitting here chilling. Picture this scenario. Cody challenges Seth for the World Heavyweight Championship. Mm -hmm. 
They have a great matchup. Remember, Seth has never beaten Cody, right? Never beaten Cody. Right. And it continues at WrestleMania. Cody beats Seth, becomes the world heavyweight champion. Okay, cool. He's got the, the that he's got the workhorse title. Whoop de doo. But then Damian Priest comes down, cashes in money in the bank, and takes the title from him. Nine years nearly to the day that Seth did the same thing. Heist. Tell me that wouldn't be brilliant. Fucking brilliant. God, Tell man. me that wouldn't be brilliant. Cody so, think like somewhat finishes the story, wins the world title, <laughs> and then Damian Priest snatches it from him via Money in the Bank nine years after Seth did the very same thing to Roman and Brock. I said it was fucking brilliant. Come on now. See, they need to have me booking this shit, bro. Fucking hell. Anyway. Now we get to our main event, which was the men's Royal Rumble matchup. The match was the mat, total match time was one hour and eight minutes and twenty-five seconds. This was the order of entrance for this matchup. You had Jay and Jimmy Uso start things out. So they knew what they were doing with that one. They had Jimmy and Jay start this off. By the way, Jay spent the longest time in the matchup, 50 minutes and 55 seconds. So no one went over an hour. So Gun so Walter's record remains intact. Uh, after what he did last year, coming in at number one, uh, Grayson Waller would join at number three. Then we would have our first surprise of the night, the return of Andrade. He came into the yes. match at number four. Number five would be Carmelo Hayes from NXT, followed by Shinsuke Nakamura. Santos Escobar came in at number seven, and then Karrion Cross came in at number eight. Dirty Dom was next at number nine. Carlito at number 10, Bobby Lashley at number 11, Ludwig Kaiser at number 12, <laughs> Austin Theory at 13, Ben Ball at 14, then the eventual winner, Cody Rose, coming in at number 15, Bronson Reed, then Kofi Kingston, then Walter, and then Ivar before we had... The, we had Braun Breaker make his way into the ring. There's been a lot of reports from backstage sources that Braun Breaker was supposed to be in a spot that Brock Lesnar was supposed to be in, but it was indeed Braun Breaker that would be the one that would come in at number 20. Then we would see the return of Omos, and then we would see Pat McAfee go into the ring, see Braun and Omos just standing there, and then he would just eliminate himself. So, a waste of spot. He was number 22. It could have went to someone else. It went to him, and he did that. Cool. Jay Jordan Devlin was next to number 23, followed by R-Truth, The Miz, Damian Priest, CM Punk at number 27, Ricochet, Drew McIntyre, and the return of Sami Zayn at number 30 with Cody Rhodes last eliminating CM Punk, who had torn his, his tricep after taking a future shock DDT from Drew McIntyre to, uh, to leave him injured. He would get eliminated, and Cody would again be the only the fourth person in fourth wrestler in WrestleMania history to win back to back Royal Rumbles, joining Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple uh, HBK, and now Cody Rhodes. So, Sip, what did you think about this one? You said that you know this the women's match was a lot better. So, what makes this match not as good as the women's match? Okay. Now, to say this match wasn't as good as the Women's Rumble, in my view, is not a bad thing. It's just that this had fewer shocks. And honestly, using Pat McAfee as comic relief on rewatch wasn't that fun to me. 
I did enjoy seeing Braun Breaker get the spotlight, to say the least, from the stories within the match itself. Having Cody and Punk in the final two made the absolute sense at the end of the day. Sucks that Punk got injured, but there was no malice behind it, though. It was on accident. Will the Punk stands please shut the fuck up about Drew intentionally injuring Punk? That's not the case at all. Drew McIntyre is one of the safest workers you could work with. Fun match overall, though. 68-25 is your match time. Yeah, I will have to agree that, you know, unlike the women's match, there weren't that many, like, big surprises. Of course, you know, Andrade, it was all over the dirt sheets and all over the interwebs that he was coming back to WWE after his contract with AEW expired after World's End in December. And then, as Heretic pointed out in our Twitch chat, when he uh, was taking off of the GCW Look At Me pay-per-view card 24 yeah. hours prior to that, it was pretty much confirmed that he was going to be in the Rumble, and then sure enough, he was, um, and, and things like that. And then, again, and no other really big surprises. You know, you had Carmelo Hayes and Braun Breaker come up from NXT, and you had almost return, and no one gave a shit about that. Uh, though it was good to see MVP. He always was cleaning his suits. And then, of oh, course, yeah. Pat McAfee was sitting on commentary, and then suddenly his music plays like, oh, he's in the Rumble, and he's in there 38 seconds, and he's gone. So it was like, okay, yeah. Um, very – I've noticed this, Seth, and I want to, I yep. want to see if you've noticed it as well. The last two or three years, well, no, 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 I won't say the last two, I was, I will say the last two or three years, the last two years, I will say, the Men's Royal Rumble has been quite lackluster, I have to say. It's been quite lackluster as compared to the Women's Royal Rumble match. Would you agree or would you disagree? I would agree to an extent. And here's my extent. Speak on it. Speak on it. The reason why I think it's been the women's have been better than the men's the last two years or so is because even though we've had good men's rumble matches, we have. We're not taking anything away from them. The surprises, the shocks are for the women, not the men. If you had brought in Moose from TNA as well as Jordan Grace, that would have been a shock to the system that me and Champ would have popped big for. We're not saying that Braun Breaker didn't do good. He did. We're not saying Andrade didn't look good. He did. But those two weren't really shocks. They weren't a Jordan Grace-type shock to the system. Whereas if you had brought in Moose or Matt Cardona, or Brian Myers or something. Shock the fans. If you're going to shock us with the women's rumble, shock us with the men's rumble too. Or else what's the fucking point in having shocks? All because right, so really... An internet that Andrade yeah. was coming back. Right, exactly. So looking at last year's men's Royal Rumble match, here were the entrants. You had Walter, Sheamus, Miz, Kingston, Gargano, Xavier Woods, Karrion Cross, Chad Gable, Drew McIntyre, Santos Escobar, Angelo Dawkins, Brock Lesnar was the first surprise at number 12. Then you had Bobby Lashley, Baron Corbin, Rollins, Otis, Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio, Elias, Finn Balor, Booker T. That was the second surprise yes. at number 21, Booker T. But then that was the only other surprise outside of Logan Paul at number 29. You had Damian Priest, no. Montez Ford, Edge, 
Austin Theory, Omos, Braun Strowman, Ricochet, and then Cody Rhodes, who won the match at number 30. Let me speak on something real quick. All right? And I agree with Panda. Gresham in the men's rumble would have been tight as well. Have the power couple there. You know? Go back. I challenge you all. Go on to Peacock. Rewatch the 1990, 91, 92, 93 Royal Rumbles. The reason why I say that is back then you had superstars in wrestling challenge when the Rumble first started out in the late 80s, early 90s. So you, you had slight teases that these people would be in the Rumble, but it wasn't officially announced until that day. So you had a good vibe when you were seeing the promo packages and everything of who was going to be in that match that day. You don't have that anymore. Last year, 26 of the entries were announced for the Men's Rumble, which only left room for four surprises. What are we doing here? This by the way, but, by the way, Seth. Yeah. By the way, by the way, Seth. Um, I also the, I want to talk about the women's Rumble match uh, interest from that last year as well. Yeah, yeah, Rhea, yeah, Rhea Ripley who ended up winning, Liv Morgan, Dana Brooke. So two years in a row, Liv Morgan ended up being in the final three. So yeah. how about that? Dana Brooke, Emma, Shayna Baszler, Bailey, Bfab, Roxanne Perez, which was the first surprise. She was in NXT. Uh -huh. Zoe Stark was the other surprise after Dakota Kai, Eel Sky, Natalia, and Candice LeRae were in. Then it was Zoe Stark, Zia Lee, Becky Lynch, Tegan Knox, Asuka, Piper Nevin, Tamina, and then this is when Chelsea Green returned to WWE. She was mm -hmm. number twenty in the Rumble. In the Rumble, Zelina Vega, Raquel Rodriguez, Mia Yim, Lacey Evans, and then Michelle McCool out of the stands. Right. That was a shock. She was came out of the stands with her daughters there to get into the Rumble. And she was in there for 13 minutes, 53 seconds, eliminated two before Rhea Ripley eliminated her. Indy Hartwell, who had been in NXT, boom. Then Sonya Deville, Shotzi, Nikki Cross, and then Nia Jax, who swore up and down she was never coming back to WWE, but she was back. So think about that. That's five or six surprise shocks in the Women's Rumble, and then the Men's Rumble is like three or four. So I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that the Men's Rumble, unless they really start forming partnerships with other promotions and bringing in some outside people, the Women's Rumble is going to have more surprises than the Men's Rumble for the next couple of years. Yeah. And I got to agree with Twitch Grays in our Twitch, in our Twitch chat. The lack of shots definitely took away from the Rumble. It was cool to be there, but to be honest, it wasn't what I was expecting. It seems that way for a lot of people in the crowd. That's right. Twitch Grays, who, who does live in Florida. Yeah. Did attend the event in person along with as well as Donnie Wrestling did. So, you know, they, they were able to give us the vibe of what was going on in in the crowd and everything like that. All right, Sif, this has gone on long enough. We still have another pay-per-view to, to, to preview. Let's get into final grades, shall we? Yes, we shall. Okay, so when I look at this card upon rewatch, there's a lot to like, but a few issues here. Pacing, predictability, and the non-mumble matches over production, the end of Logan Paul versus KO, and the fact that on rewatch, the Roman match and this feeling of, of, wait, Solo didn't need a disguise. It was no DQ because it was a four-way. All in all, though, none of these matches are top 10 of the year, but overall, though, the streak continues with good rumble matches on, although predictable, good non-mumble matches, this year's Royal Rumble lands at a B plus champ. 
I'm going to go with a B minus because I still feel like the men's rumble match fell quite short of what you are expecting for a men's rumble matchup. Um, I got to agree with Heretic, you know, hoping to see Jonathan Gresham in the men's rumble. But at the same time, I mean, if you're going to put someone in, from TNA into the WWE Royal Rumble for the men, it would have to be Moose, who is the yeah. TNA World Heavyweight Champion. You know that would make impact. You put your you put your knockouts world champion in the women's rumble. You got to put your men's heavyweight champion in the men's rumble. Period. But the men's match fell kind of short. The Logan Paul KO match was fine for what it was. The Fatal Four was fine for what it was. The women's match is what really did it. I you know it's just crazy that it opened the show and it set yeah. the tone. And I think that with that setting the tone, I it just made it hard for up the rest of the card to be able to follow it, especially with the feats that Tiffany Strat were able, was able to do while she was in the Rumble matchup, which has led to her uh, uh, main roster call up. So yeah. I'm giving the Royal Rumble a B minus. It was good for what it was, but it just it was what it was. And know well that at least it showed up, our good friends, Donnie Wrestling, as well as um, Twitch Graves, they would have popped hard. And then Twitch Graves would have gone in here into our chat and go, Ayo, Seth, your boy's showing up. Right. Anyway, so mm -hmm. that's it for the Royal Rumble. Now we look ahead to the first premium live event for NXT in 2024, mm -hmm. Vengeance Day. Mm -hmm. So it's taking place at the uh, F&M Bank Arena in Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, and it has a six-match card, not a single match on a pre-show. So everything will be happening at the top of the hour on Sunday night at 8 p.m. Remember, we will be live reacting to Avengers Day on our Twitch channel at 7.55 Eastern Standard Time uh, on, on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash true no spots pod. It'll be myself. It'll be the Sith. There, we are much more interactive with our Twitch chat when we do live reactions than we do with the podcast recordings. So make sure if you have any questions or any want to just come in, watch the show with us. Feel free to join. Make sure you, you know if you want to have a nice alcohol, uh, adult beverage with it or whatever you fancy. Come and join us in our Twitch chat for live reactions to Vengeance Day. But now let's talk about the Vengeance Day card as we always do with Vengeance with any pay per view or premium live event. We'll talk about the non-title matches first, and then we will talk about the title matches. There are three title matches on the card, and then of course we have three non. We have two uh, regular. We have two matches. There, one is a regular match, and one's a uh, stip, uh, a gimmick match, and then we of course have a tournament final uh, on here to talk about. So let's start off with that gimmick match that we were going to talk about after the actions of Dijak on Tuesday on NXT against Joe Gacy. New general manager Ava was not happy with him, but decided that it was going to be a no DQ match between Dijak and Joe Gacy. Sip, this story between Gacy and Dijak has been quite interesting to say the very least over the last couple of weeks. And now we're going to get themselves get, get ourselves a no DQ match. How do you see this playing out? That Dijak is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. <laughs> okay, so Dijak. He's been a solid name to bring back down to NXT to work with the younger talent as the former Dominic Dijakovic is a tenured pro and works great with the younger talent. Joe Gacy seems a bit wayward after the breakup of the schism. 
and has seemingly turned babyface in his attacks on Dijak. No matter who wins, he's gone through a battle on this one. Going with Gacy here. With the sudden face turn, I think he needs to win more than Dijak. So I'm going with Gacy here. Okay. I'm going the opposite direction. With the baby face turn of Gacy, I think that Dijak definitely needs to win more to take down a big time, a big baby face, especially coming off the feud that he had with uh, Eddie Thorpe, all formerly known as, uh, what was his name before? Yep. I forgot his name in New Japan. Anyway, whatever. But the, after the feud he had with Eddie Thorpe, I think he needs a, a signature win against the emerging baby face to really show how how uh you know type, type of heel that he is so i'm going to definitely go with dijack on this one uh all right next up we have a six person mixed tag match on the cards this rivalry between the family and out the mud has really picked up steam over the past couple of weeks especially now that you added in the feet women the woman element to it with uh with uh adriana rizzo joining the family and uh jade and jada parker joining otm uh and things like that so now they're gonna get it on in a six-person mixed tag match it's a regular match no it's not gonna be a stipulation where there's no dq no count or anything like that this should be an interesting one who are you picking on this one sith this is another fun stipulation with the mixed person six-man tag and i think that even though i'm a mark for the low rent goodfellas godfather knockoffs in the family of OTM winning here as I, I see OTM challenging for the NX2 World Tag Team Championships more than likely in Philadelphia. It's stand and deliver. Gonna be a fun mixed man tag mixed tag match. OTM, they're getting the W tonight. Nice. Uh, before I give my thoughts, I want to say to uh, Two Super, who's been hanging out with us uh, for this podcast recording in our Twitch chat, uh, thank you for the follow about three minutes ago. Really appreciate it. Glad you are enjoying uh, what you are hearing, and we look forward to seeing you here some more in the future. Now, cool. I'm looking at this matchup here. You have the family who consists of the t- the NXT Tag Champions, uh, Tony D'Angelo and Channel- Channing Stacks Lorenzo, and then, of course, Adriana Rizzo, who we have not seen much of in the ring yet. So it'll be interesting to see what she brings to the table. Same thing with Jada Parker uh, on when it comes to her in-ring experience and stuff like that. Both of these young women are bra- are still relatively new to NXT. Uh, out, out the mud, we've seen what they're capable of. We know what the family's capable of. I'm going to go with the family on this one. I think the tag champs will get the victory on this one. I would not be surprised if OTM wins to put themselves in position to get another shot at the mm-hmm. NXT Tag Team Championships. But I think that uh, I think the family is going to move on from OTM, and there's going to be another tag team. Uh, well, they're going to move on and have to face whoever wins the Dusty Cup. So I think that they win this matchup so they can move on to focus on whoever's going to be their next number one contenders. So I'm going with the family. Speaking right. of the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic, cha- uh, classic Tournament Final, uh, we have a very very unique final we have the makeshift team of the wolf dogs baron corbin and braun breaker taking on trick the trick mellow gang trick williams and carmelo hayes now i'm expecting this matchup right here to open the show with williams being in the main event at the end for the uh going for the nxt championship sit 
who do you think will be the next Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Tournament winners? Will it be the Wolf Dogs or will it be Trick Mellow Gang? Just like Champ, I think this match opens up the show and it will have repercussions at the end of the night, to say the least, as I do expect the Trick Mellow Gang to lose here. Mind you, I don't think Breaker and Corbin will stay as a team long term, but they do win the match here, I think. I agree. I think that uh, Trick Mellow Gang loses, and I think that's going to lead to, I think, the same repercussions I'm thinking that you're thinking, sis. So we'll get into that when we get to the main event. Uh, but yeah, Wolf Dogs win the tournament and will move on uh, to face off against the tag champions, the family, somewhere down the line. All right, now our championship matches. We'll start off with the North American Championship. Oba Femi, who won this year's breakout, who won the breakout mm -hmm. tournament, and then decided a week after winning the breakout tournament would cash it in on the nxt north american championship and dragon lee after he had a hard-fought match against lexus king femi came in and absolutely steamrolled lee on his way to becoming the new north american champion and then we have seen a drastic change in oba femi's character going from this very humble but very big giant to this sort of like regal like uh, status that he has, which has been a pretty good, pretty good transformation for him. But he's given Dragon Lee his rematch for the championship. Sit, how do you see this going? Obafemi was the winner of the NXT Breakout Tournament, and rightfully so. They did right by him, actually, letting him become the North American champion as he defeated Dragon Lee. And this is their rematch this uh, tonight. As much as I like Dragon Lee, he has things on SmackDown to do. So this is pretty pretty easy call for me. Obafemi retains here at the end of the day. He hasn't shown me a reason to strip him of the title here. Yeah, I'm a, I'm I agree that I gotta go with um Obafemi on this one. You, there's no way that you put this championship on him with not a single defense in the last the couple weeks that he's few weeks that he's had it. And then on his first defense he loses it to someone who's basically on the main roster now in Dragon Lee. I mean, yeah, Dominic Mysterio held the North American Championship while being on the main roster for a couple months, but I just don't think you do that to this young man who has already proved, clearly proven his worth that you put the faith in him holding on to your mid-card championship this early on. So why would yeah. you take that away from him? I go with Obafemi to retain. Uh, yes. And Obafemi's character changed to like an arrogant bastard. Reminds me of the character change in a character of a band called Guar, where Beefcake the Mighty at first, cool customer, right? But throughout the third album and forward, Beefcake turns into an arrogant fucking asshole. Even in interviews, he, he just gives off the wipe of like, you know, fuck you. <laughs> Type deal. <laughs> For those who are new to this podcast, Sif likes to make very obscure references that I have yeah. no idea what what they are. But I just let him cook because I'm just like he's gonna he's gonna get it out anyway. I'm not gonna yeah. stop him. Just go. I'm just like just go. Anyway, Hard let's talk about the end. Shock rock, basically. Pretty cool group. All right, let's. Let's talk about NXT, the NXT Women's Championship match. Uh, this has been a very, very interesting one, to say the very least. Lyra Valkyria, the champion, going up against former champion Roxanne Perez with the wild card being the very, very obvious stalker in Tatum Paxley, uh, who's been getting involved 
much against the wishes of Lyra Valkyria. Uh, Roxanne Perez looking like she's bringing out a new, more aggressive side to her. Everything about this has been very, very interesting. Sif, what do you see happening with this matchup as we say hello to my good friend Sunshine, who has cheered 50 bits and has resubscribed for 20, 21 months? Thank you very much, Sunshine. But Sif, your thoughts on the women's title match? Thank you very much, Sunshine. We love you. This should be a fun match. And Hector, I love you. I'm sorry. I'm, I need to preface that. But where Lyra's getting over in the ring, on the mic, she's not that much of a strong presence yet. But in time, I think she, I see her becoming both. Roxanne Perez really does shine. And she being a former Ring of Honor women's champion, as well as the first women's Iron Survivor, she won the breakout tournament in 2022, former NXT Women's Champion, former NXT Women's Tag Team Champion. Roxanne Perez has got it all. She's awesome. And I love this more eh, dark, you know, not so much tweener, but more of a badass baby face. I'm going with Valkyria to win here. Either Perez turns heel here or Tatum Paxley costs Perez the match. Yeah, I'm also going with Valkyria. I think that Paxley does uh, cost Perez the matchup, which will cause, which will bring about Valkyria, you know, shunning her yeah. for getting involved, which will lead to a rivalry between Paxley and Valkyria. Sort of like how, sort of like on the, sort of, sort of on that 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 level of what we saw in 2005, 2006, Trish and Mickey. Where Mickey stalked Trish, this, that, and third, and then she finally Trish finally had to let Mickey know and what was up, and then Mickey went off the deep end. It led to that that matchup at WrestleMania, which led to that the one of the most epic moments I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. So if you don't know, you but here's here's what I'm talking about: when Mickey when uh, Trish yes. went to go for a satisfaction, and she went up, Mickey grabbed her by her vagina. And mm -hmm. caused her to jump off, and then Mickey licked her hand yes. after she grabbed her vagina. You can't see it on Peacock. They edited it out. They edited it out. Way. You have, you have, you would have to go on YouTube or Daily Motion to find that clip because there's no way in the world you're gonna find it on Peacock because of the fact that they edited it out. But that's, but she grabbed her vagina, and then when she got, when she jumped off, she licked it. I watched it live. I was it was the best shit in the world. Yeah. Anyway, NXT Championship. Ilya Dragunov <laughs> is going to be defending against the Iron Survivor, the recent Iron Survivor Challenge winner, Trick Williams. Uh, this is a very interesting scenario here, Seth, because this is actually supposed to happen two weeks. It's supposed to happen a, about a month ago for New Year's Evil, but instead we're now doing it here uh, on a bigger stage. And things like that. Ilya hasn't wrestled in a, a while since he wrestled um, Rich Holland and suffered the kayfabe injury. What do you What do you expect from this one, Seth? You see what I'm doing here, champ? That should tell you right now who's going to mm -hmm. win. Yeah, look, you take the czar who has settled in into the NXT roster after his time in NXT UK and Europe prior to that. Taking Trick Williams, one of the breakout stars of the 2.4 era, as he was the mouthpiece for Carmelo Hayes, but then really started to come out on his own in the ring as well. I think Melo finally turns heel here, costs Trick Williams a match as long lived the czar. 
the Zara teams here. Should be a really good match, but a story that's been building hits a crescendo here. Dragon Aqua teams. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think that Melo will be salty that they lost in the uh, the, the final. He'll think that Trick cared more about his goals and not about the team. And then Mel I think we get the reveal that it was Melo all this time that attacked Trick, yeah. and it sets up their rivalry uh, before Melo ultimately heads up to the main roster because it's pretty much an inevitability he will be on the main roster. He has done pretty much everything that needs to be done outside of win the NXT Tag Team Championships. He's a former two-time North American champion, former NXT champion, uh, had a great reign as NXT champion. I just feel like there's nothing really else for him to do on, on NXT. So I think he'll hit the main roster and most likely hit SmackDown uh, uh, after he has a few with Trick Williams after costing Trick the NXT Championship. So I'm going with Dragunov yeah. as well. All right, preliminary grades, Sith. We look at this card, six-match card. A lot of these matches outside of the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic have a story behind them. What do you see? What, what do you predict is going to be the grade for this here uh, show? This is your typical NXT card here. And honestly, all of the matches look good on paper. And it should be a good night of action here tonight. NXT has definitely had their issues on TV. And we've covered the good and the bad here on the pod. That said, I'm looking forward to seeing a few things here. Melo turning on Trick. Whether Paxley costs Roxanne Perez again, which I think is the likely or the two scenarios of that or Perez turning heel. The ending of the Dusty Cup finals, etc. Vengeance starts off with a B here, but has the potential to move up. Champ, your preliminary grade, sir. I'm going to agree with the B here. Uh, I think that it definitely needs to be there because it does have the potential to go higher than uh, to go higher because we know that NXT has such great match quality. Uh, we know. I think the one. The one match on here that kind of gives me pause is that six-person mixed tag match because of yeah. the 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 relative uh, because of the fact that Adriana Rizzo and Jada Parker I have not seen them wrestle on TV. I don't know what they're bringing to the table, and that was that's what makes me a bit nervous about this one. We've already seen what the family can do. We've already seen what Price and Nima can do. Those two young ladies are going to be in a very very tough spot being on a pay premium live event wrestling in front of a very large, a pretty sizable crowd. Um, I don't know what the the, the venues, how the venue is going to be set up for, but either, either way, it's going to be a, a, a crowd. It's going to be a crowd a lot. It's going to be a crowd a lot bigger than the PC. That I know for sure. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm interested to see what have how they're going to be able to stand up. But I'm also going to go with a B here and figure, out, and hopefully it goes up from there. But you know, if it does go up, it won't go up by much. Yeah, give me one second. I'll look up their capacity here. I got. I already got it. So apparently, for their concerts, it's six thousand. For baseball, basketball games, it's five thousand five hundred. Yeah. For ice hockey games, it's five thousand. So I would assume that we look under the concert for this one. I, I'm saying it'll probably be around six thousand. Yeah, it'll be intriguing, but I, yeah, it does give you pause. Ooh, and yeah, it gives me great. Things are up on our Facebook page. Yeah, it gives me great pause with not knowing what to expect from those two, but I'm hopeful that they 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 over they they over deliver. Yeah. I hope that they over deliver, honestly. 
Make me look like an idiot for for doubting them, please. I would, I would, I, I would love that. I would love that. Please, honestly. thank you. I mean, all right, we it's, would both love that. Absolutely. All right, we're done talking about Avengers Day and Royal Rumble. It's now time to look back on the fallout from Royal Rumble and the bill to the final bill to to Avengers Day plus all other action. It is time for the week in review. For those who are new to our podcast, our week in review is also known as push or bury. We take five segments from each show throughout the week and we give them a we give them a rating. If we like it, we push it. If we really like it, we give it a big push. If we thought it was fucking awesome, we give it a mega push. If we thought it was meh, we either give it a small push or leave it where it is. If we hated it, we bury it into the ground. This week, driving the bus for the week in review is none other than Sif's vengeance himself. Sif, let them know what we're talking about this week. All right, this week, Monday Night Raw and, w- and Friday Night SmackDown have the fallout shows from the Royal Rumble and started to build towards the Elimination Chamber, which is February the 24th from Perth, Australia. NXT had to go home show for NXT Vengeance Day, which is tonight emanating from Clarksville, Tennessee. AEW Dynamite Rampage and Collision continue their builds towards AEW Revolution, which is March 3rd from Greensboro, North Carolina. Impact had their builds towards No Surrender 2024, which will be February the 23rd from West Waco, Louisiana. So what did we think of the Week in Review? Let's find out in the Push Berry Week in Review. After all shows, but TNA Impact Chancellor has a grades from Bleacher Report, and I will opine. And we start off with Monday Night Raw, where, who, we had a lot going on in this opening segment. Champ, the opening segment that had Punk, you had Drew McIntyre there healing it up. You had Cody Rhodes in there. It was the way you want to open up after a big PLE, push or bury. I mean, the fact that McIntyre said that he prayed for him to get injured and that he was going to go to Mania and live out his dream of main eventing. I thought that was... I I thought that, I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was brilliant. I really did. I thought that was really well done by Drew McIntyre. He's really embracing his heel role now. He was kind of in the middle for for the longest time, but I think he's finally crossed over to that side. So I'm definitely going to give this for this opening segment my first mega push of the week. And for those watching us on Twitch, trust like trust me when you listen to the audio version. That'll make more sense of how I did that, but just yeah. listen. But um, no, I I am I like the the human factor that was a part of this on Punk's part, talking about his friend who has cancer, mentioning the Chicago Cubs, being a proud um, a Chicagoan, and then the heel the heel Drew. Everything about this segment was just great. This will start to finish. I know it sucks that Punk got injured. I will definitely agree with that because it seems like he's snake bitten injury wise but I'd like to see in the cup reference from Cody Drew healing it up was nasty as what was to be expected usually you want the night after a big PLE to open up with the aftermath of this ruled give it a mega push then 
the first hour commercial free continued with DIY taking on the undisputed tag team champs, Damian Priest and Finn Balor. And we also had some fun in the post match. Push your berry. Uh, I'm giving this a big push, boarding on a mega push. This was a very, very fun tag team matchup. And as someone who has always had an affinity for tag team wrestling, this was the epitome of that with DIY and Judgment Day after the matchup. Poor Truth. Like, they did they did Truth so wrong. Yeah. Uh, wow. When they said the first hour commercial free, this was a solid way to keep things going match-wise. And in the post-match... Damn. Truth was laid out by Jordan Devlin. The match was wild, and although DIY had a mid-reception, they came out getting the fans respect at the end. Overall, really great, big, bordering on mega, but absolute heartbreak with Truth being laid out, though. Then, we go to Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins. They had a promo a segment as well. Champ, Mr. Barry. Another big push for me, bordering on mega push. Again, you know, Seth Rollins is, you know, needing something to do. You know, they had to change a lot of things up after Punk's injury. So what better way than for Seth Rollins to try to get into Cody's head about, hey, you know, does the work go for the workman's title? You know, go 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 for that. This title is the same title that you know that's almost as similar as the one your dad had. This and the third. Everybody seems to like playing on the heartstrings of Cody by mentioning his dad. Eventually, that's going to get old. So I think they need to like kind of limit that a little bit because after a while, that's just going to get old, and then people are going to be like, "Oh, fuck off!" But I'm giving this a big push more on a bordering on a mega push. Same here. It was a really outstanding segment, and it was an excellent sport to give us a hint that maybe walking through Cody said one more time. It was amazing. But telegraphs, you know, that maybe Punk was due to win the Elimination Chamber. It was cooked with goodness, except for alluding to Dusty. I am really already getting tired of it because we've been hearing about this for over a year. And it, it's already getting old. You know, as much as Bruce Pritchard complains about Dark Side of the Ring exposing and, you know, Using the memory of dead people. Haven't we done that enough with Dusty? I'm just saying. Big push. Bordering on Mega. It was goodness, though. Then we had Walter taking on Kofi Kingston. Woo-hoo. Push your berry. I see title match gets the uh, big push, border on mega push. Another solid outing here. Again, Walter showing why he has been the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time. But Kofi Case is showing why he's won that championship on a few different occasions back when he had a bad Jamaican accent and then got called out for not having a Jamaican accent. Uh, so, yeah, he's he knew, he knew how to bring it. But in the end, it was Walter staying on top. This was a banger. And look, whoever dethrones Walter has some major shoes to fill because the IC title has been elevated in his reign big time. Kofi could have had the match of his life, and odds are Walter would have kicked out and retained. Gotta love this match. It's exactly what was needed. Big bordering on Mega. What a mat. This could be an under appreciated match that could sink its way into a top 10 of the year. That's how good this match was. 
Then in our main event, Drew McIntyre versus Sami Zayn, champ, Pusher Barry. Uh, this also gets a big push border on a mega push. Again, Sammy hasn't been around for about a month and a half came back and helped get fight drew off of cm punk in the opening segment now they get a matchup and it was a very intense matchup very well done kind of you know heartbreaking that zane put up such a great performance but still lost but i mean you know drew's red hot as a heel so i think you gotta you can't throw water on on him just yet with a loss on 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 raw uh after wrestle after royal rumble so i thought this is a, a really really good match uh, white hot main event here. I thought it was clever that McIntyre entered the match with that overly confident promo that started mocking Sammy for being out of his league. Drew McIntyre blurs the lines at times where it comes to being a heel or a babyface. You gotta love it. Zane has that heart that you gotta love. Give it all a big push. Absolutely. All right. The grades for this week's ep this past week's episode of Monday Night Raw mm -hmm. come to us from Bleacher Report's own Eric Beeston. Eric! So, here we go. We have, of course, CM Punk kicking off the show. He gave that promo segment an A. Uh, a plus. The Undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship match, DIY versus The Judgment Day. He gave that an A. A minus, but damn, that, that rolled. Zoe Stark and Shayna Baszler versus Piper Nevin and Chelsea Green got a C. C plus. I'll get to that in a minute. Cody Rose's promo where he had, was interrupted by the visionary also got an A. A minus, but damn, that was good. Jay Uso versus Big Bronson Reed. That got a B. B plus. That ruled. Intercontinental Championship, Kofi Kingston versus Walter got an A. Give it an A minus with a lot of brutal chops. Yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tegan Knox and Natalia versus the Kabuki Warriors, the WWE Women's Tag Champions in a non-title match. C plus. B minus. And then Bailey speaking about her Royal Rumble victory. That got to be. B plus. Sami Zayn versus Drew McIntyre. The main event got an A. A minus, but damn, that was really, really good. Oh, his overall grade is as follows. Quote, we did not get any real indicators as to where stories are headed for WrestleMania here. But what we did get, uh, get a continued commitment to the characters and stories in play and some quality ring, ring work. CM Punk's injury news got things off to on a sad note, but the show provided a steady commitment to highlighting Drew McIntyre, Sami Zayn, and Bailey, all while giving us three quality matches mixed in. The mid-show promo for, from Seth Rollins was spectacular and created drama for Cody Rhodes on his path to WrestleMania. The show had the task of grabbing the attention of fans watching to find out what happened at the Royal Rumble, and it accomplished it. Thanks to quality stories, good booking, and stellar in-ring work. An easy A this week, end quote. His final grade was an A. Uh, Eric. We'll agree to disagree on a couple of things real quick, especially the grade. This was a solid post-Rumble Raw this week. But honestly, the match between Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark versus Piper Nevin and Chelsea Green 
was filler at fucking best to throw in two teams and say, okay, go have a few minutes. You could have added those few minutes to the other women's tag match, and that would have been better. I really did enjoy all of Raw, though, overall, but had a few quirks here and there that keeps this week's Raw at a solid A- minus this week. But overall, though, really good show, packed full of goodness. We go on to NXT, who had their go-home show. All right, next. To Vengeance Day, which is tonight. And opening up, we had Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams taking on Joaquin Wild and Cruz Del Toro of the LWO champ. Pusher Barry. Uh, this gets a big push. Uh barely gets a big push but it was it was really it was good enough to get there a really solid in-ring action all four men really put laid it out on the line uh but it was pretty predictable that trick and mellow were going to win this one because you're i'm pretty sure you're setting up for their their eventual fall at vengeance day leading to the eventual breakup of the trick mellow game yeah, I give it a big push. It was a really good opening match, but honestly, it allowed more suspense for the heel turn that's coming tonight. Really good work by both teams, and hopefully Wild and Del Toro will be taken seriously when they go back up to SmackDown. Give it a big push. Then we had Roxanne Perez taking on Tatum Paxley. Champ, push your berry. Uh, give us a push, bordering on a, a just a, no, just a push. Match was fair. It basically was just there to help to further the storyline of Paxley being the wild card in that NXT Women's Championship match. Uh, so basically, it, it, did, it did what it needed to do, so I'm giving it a push. I give it a push. It was a good warm-up match for Perez, but you have to wonder, could Perez or Paxley turn heel tonight? Good quick match. Give it a push. Then Fallon Henley took on Ariana Grace. Champ, push your berry. I'm gonna give this one a push as well. Solid matchup here. Uh, not not bad or anything like that. I think that um, Fallon Henley's got more problems to deal with with Metaphor than she does with Ariana Grace. But uh, I mean, Grace is really playing her role very well. She got the mm -hmm. not so clean victory in this one, and Fallon Henley's got to deal with Metaphor in this in this sense. Excuse me. Uh, give it a push. Look, it was a decent match. Ariana Grace is continuing to show improvement in the ring, as is Henley. Grace is strong in her character work so far, and I think she's continuing to progress in the ring, which will make her a complete performer. And she's turning into her dad a bit, which I also like as well. Give it a push. Then, oh boy, I had to add this in, and Champ's going to be pissed at me. Noam Dar versus Von Wagner. Champ, push your berry. Leaving it where it is. There's no way that Von Wagner, a uh, man of his size, doesn't even get one pinfall in this one. Are you serious? Nah, leaving it where it is. Actually, no. Give me the shovel. Nah, I'm burying this one. Nah, nah, we're burying this one. Yes. No way. Uh-uh. Uh, nah, I was trying to be nice. Fuck being nice. Nah, burying this one. There's no shot that a man the size of Von Wagner can't get one pinfall on fucking Noam Dar. Even with Noam Dar having so much fucking help, he should have got at least one pinfall in this one to make it interesting he gets to he gets he gets shut out he gets shut yeah. out yes he put he still put uh he still put homeboy through the table but still no 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 and throw me the shovel right on back bro because here's the thing extremely disappointing match 
Champ and I remember when the Heritage Cup had matches in solid form where the cup actually meant something. This match was filler at fucking best. Major improvements should happen or else scrap the fucking thing. Bury this shit into the ground. Whew. Now we got that out of the way. Uh, the closing segment, Push Your Berry. Push. It was fine for what it was. Uh, of course, Ilya had to use the whole hugging trick, trick Williams thing to kind of get into his head like he did with Baron Corbin. It'll be interesting to see how it works. And Push, it showed the torn allegiances for Trick here as he's doing double duty and he doesn't trust Mello at all. Dragunov looked good here. That said, the contract signing was a lot better than the showdown that closed NXT this week. Not a bad segment, but one that is just decent as opposed to really, really good. Push. Absolutely. All right. Kevin Burge of Bleacher Report provides the grades for this week's go-home edition of NXT. And we opened up, of course, with the Dusty Classic matchup of Trick, the Trick Mellow Gang and LWO. He gave it a B. B plus, but it could have been a B if it had bordered. But I gave it a big push. Give it a B plus. Roxanne Perez versus Tatum Paxley. That got a C plus. B minus, but yeah. Electra Lopez versus Lola Vice. That got a C. I agree. C. That just didn't cut it. I'm going to say you like this. I'm glad that Electra Lopez got caught up when she did to rejoin Legato Del Fantasma because I'm going to tell you something. This feud was not going to go anywhere. This feud was ass. And I think that she, they, I'm glad that she got the one off match with Lola. Vice got the victory, and now Lotres can go and be with Legado Del Fantasma. Because this would have continued, especially based off the segment they had, the Supernova Sessions, this rivalry mm -hmm. was going to tank. It was going to tank. All right, Rich yeah. Holland versus Lexus King. That got a D. D minus. This came close to me saying, fuck me, I'm done. JC Jane says, chase you. That got a B minus. B minus, but I need to see where it goes. There was a lot of vitriol. There was a there was some I forgot who where I saw this at. That's uh that kind of liked the segment when it was all sad and hot and all they saying the goodbyes and then when JC came in it, they kind of turned them off to it. I forgot who said that, but my but I mean I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, something about the segment it was just a little wishy washy for me. Yeah. Anyway, Fallon Henley, who had Ren Sinclair, formerly known as Maddie Renkowski, at ringside against Ariana Grace, that match got a C. C plus. Heritage Cup, Noam Dar versus Von Wagner got a D. F. Fuck that. And then Ilya Dragunov and Trick Williams exchanged final words. That got a C plus. I agree, C plus. And in his overall, his overall is as follows, quote, NXT promised a big car and emotional moments, and it delivered a decent show that relied upon the weeks of hype pre preceding, preceding to keep fans invested. Scheduled matches got too little time. Promos repeated much of what had been already said, already been said, and the overall car remained mostly the same in terms of makeup and excitement. 
it would have been nice to see bigger performances in matches like Noam Dar versus Von Wagner, Lola Vice versus Electra Lopez, and Roxanne Perez versus Tatum Paxley. This did not make it a bad show, but it was a letdown. The drama between Trick Williams, Carmelo Hayes, and Ilya Dragunov is NXT's most important angle, and nothing was going to shake that build. In quote, his overall grade was a C minus. NXT hit the road hard at first this week, but quickly fell back into that never getting back up in my view. I liked having Chase you get one last shot here, but I have to wonder what's the end game. This was supposed to be the go-home prevention state, but I don't think the show did a good enough job in some areas to really shine to get more eyes on the Peacock tonight. NXT gets a C- this week, as it was a letdown for a go-home show for me this week. Last week was a lot better where it came to that go-home feel. And yeah, Heretic Ninja's got an excellent point in our chat. TNA No Surrenders, there's nothing on it on trailer right now. I looked it up myself on my fire stick. It, it's going to piss people off if it's just on TNA Plus and Impact Ultimate Insider. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But I know. Is it? Well, here's, you have to think about something, though. You have to, you have to think about something is that, you know, Yo. you know, the TNA and their streaming is under Endeavor. So I'm pretty sure Trilla yeah. TV has no affiliation with Endeavor. So I'm pretty sure we're seeing the start of something like this, which is going to piss off a lot of people who do use Trilla TV, formerly known as uh, Fight TV. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I'm sure there's going to be an announcement about it somewhere down the line, but I think that we're seeing uh, the last of a relationship between Trilla TV and, and TNA Wrestling. I think you'll see the paper, the big paper, the big four on there, but the monthly events, nope. <laughs> Those will be TNA Plus and YouTube, if you're lucky. Now we go on to Dynamite, and whoa, the opening match. You had John Moxley, Jeff Hardy, and then, ooh, hello in the post-match. Champ, push your berry. Push border on big push, look. I love Jeff Hardy like, as much as the next man. I really do. But it's clear that the years of being the daredevil in the ring, the drug use, the alcohol, all this stuff, he mm -hmm. doesn't have it anymore. But I get that he has this love for, for wrestling and doesn't want to give it up. But I honestly think that he needs to stick to tag matches. These singles matches he's been in have not been the best to watch. And again, I love Jeff Hardy like the next man, but I just can't... I, I just can't with another singles a Jeff Hardy singles match. Honestly, I just can't. And it was very interesting the CMLL wrestlers coming in and beating the crap out of Mox after the matchup. I don't think they understand who the fuck they just fuck with. <laughs> this man bleeds on a regular basis. You think he won't fucking break either one of y'all little necks? Push. No to the guy in Hector. He's not here right now. You think your CML guys have a chance against Moxley who put skewers in his head and loves for blood? He could probably donate his blood in a fucking match, but that's beside the point. Look, the match was good for an opening match but because no one had Hardy beating Mox. But Jeff Hardy... Is starting to look more like he did in 2016, 2017 when he came back to WWE. I like the invasion angle in the post match, push bordering on big push, but 
I agree with Champ, though. We've seen the what's left of Jeff where it comes to singles. Either put him in tags or just retire already. Because no offense meant to Jeff Hardy. I, I know he loves the business, but this really is... It's hard to watch. I just hope that we don't do... Um, I just hope we would... He doesn't turn into the next Ric Flair where he's got a pacemaker and he passes out in the ring twice in the last match. That's all I hope for. Because <sighs> that was hard to watch. Then Hangman Adam Page took on Toa Leona. Champ. Push your berry. Uh, push boarding on a big push. Another really solid outing from Hangman. A lot of people don't realize uh, Toa Leona is a very talented wrestler, and he really, mm -hmm. it was a really hard hitting one. And really, uh, this match had the best placement because it kind of brought the crowd back into it after what happened in the opening match. So I'm giving it a push boarding on a big push. Yeah, I give it a big push. Look, good match. It really continued a good story with Paige and Swerve. Angling to see who faces off against Samoa Joe. Issue here, totally looked like a million bucks, but will he be utilized going forward? As we've seen talent look good just to be discarded. Hoping the follow with Toliana is on deck. Give it a big push, though. Then Wardlow took on Commander Champ. Push or bury uh push border not boarding on big push just a push match was all right i was i was expecting wardlow to just absolutely steamroll commander but then i got to remember that commander is a former champion in triple a so i don't think they want to treat him too badly but uh you know wardlow still got the victory it did look like he looked like he tweaked his knee on the power bomb but it sounds like he's okay he Went on Twitter and said he's okay. So unless something comes out differently, I guess he's okay. But give us a push. I give it a push. Well, at least it wasn't a typical Wardlow squash, but it was close enough to it, though. Giving it a push, but at some point, Wardlow has to be able built for more than just five-minute matches or less on TV just to be abandoned on the side later on. I get that he's one of the members of the Undisputed um, Kingdom. Undisputed Kingdom, but yeah. You know, he, he's going to be the forgettable member out of the whole faction. I can see it now. Then, Deanna Perazzo took on Taya Valkyrie with Johnny TV. Champ, push your very. Uh, I'm giving us a push boarding on a big push. Once again... We said that our truth is a national treasure. Timeless Tony Storm is another national treasure that should be protected at all times. Her own commentary is absolutely fucking brilliant, especially when it comes to Deanna Perrazzo. And once again, Deanna is showing why she's one of the best uh, technical women's wrestlers in the world and is starting to creep up there as one of the best technical wrestlers male or female in the world uh her and it was great to see taya back on tv with johnny tv they've been acknowledging that they're married on uh, ring of honor from what i understand and so it was good to see her on aew dynamite but Ferrazzo getting the victory give it a push border on a big push uh, same here. It was a strong showcase for Deanna Perazzo and her clash coming soon with Timeless Tony Storm, who is just an absolute delight on commentary per the usual. Champ, it's sad, though, per the usual with Tony Khan booking. This is the only focus for women right now on Dynamite. Pfft, imagine that. But yeah, push bordering on big. And then you had your main event in the Dealer's Choice 
option. Rob Van Dam versus Swerve Strickland in a hardcore match. Champ, push your berry. You know what's funny? I don't think people caught this. I think it was either Rampage or Collision. Hangman Page actually gave a hint on who it was going to be in his promo. Because yep. he said, you're going to have to wait for the effing show. That was the immediate. As soon as he said that, I said, oh, it's Rob Van Dam. <laughs> I was like, yep. so it was no surprise when Rob Van Dam strolled his high ass out there. Because he, because Hangman pretty much gave it away if people were paying attention. If people were paying attention, he gave it away in his promo days before. It was like, dude, it's Rob Van Dam. And everybody acts so surprised. Oh, my gosh, Rob. Motherfucker, he gave it away. Anyway, I'm not going off on that tangent. We're going to keep it moving. Um, I'm giving this a big push. This is a really, I mean, this is your typical hardcore matchup. You had all the tools, all the toys, and everything like that. You know Rob Van Dam's comfortable in that environment being an ECW oh, yeah. alumni. Uh, but, of course, Swerve had to get the victory because he's pushing towards trying to become AEW's first African-American world champion. And you know what? It would be absolutely hilarious if that man wins the world title before uh, before February is. Have him win it in Black History Month. Do it for the culture, you cowards. <laughs> they won't do it. Tony Khan I know. is too busy, you know, patronizing people that over stuff that happened years ago. But anywho, um, fun hardcore main event as the dealer's options from Page were hey, RVD and hardcore. Cool. RVD is still amazing to watch. And unlike certain wrestlers that are in their 50s, you use RVD sparingly for matches like this and he and his opponents come out looking like a million fucking bucks this was a banger of a main event next week's main event is going to be lit you just know it give it a big push all right doc chris mueller uh sim right. boy from bleach record with the grace for this this week's dynamite we opened with mox versus hardy he gave it a b i agree b Hangman Page versus Toa Leona. He gave that one a B. B, but very close to B+. Wardlow versus Commander. He gave it a C+. I give it a C. Fuck me. Chris Jericho versus Kyle Fletcher. He gave that a B-. minus. He gave it a what? B-? minus. B-, minus. yeah. Yeah, yeah. B-. minus. Yo, that that's that that spot where Kyle Fletcher did a tope was doing the tope over the top rope and Jericho hit him with the Judas effect. I was like, okay, that's that's this is disrespectful. That was a yeah. disrespectful spot, that is. Uh Deanna Perrazzo versus Taya Valkyrie got a B minus. Swerve Strickland versus RVD in our main event, which had Samoa Joe on commentary, got a B. B plus. And then his final word is from Doc Chris Mueller is this is as follows quote This was a solid episode of Dynamite. This was a solid episode of Dynamite in terms of the overall quality of the matches, but something was missing. Every bout on this card had its upside, but a lot of them also felt similar in tone. We didn't get any technical technical clinics or spot fests. We got plenty of chaos. But it all felt like the same kind of chaos, if that makes sense. Leona and Paige may have edged out everything else for the best match of the night, but it would be easy to see why people will also pick Mox versus Hardy or Swerve versus RVD. 
AEW is in the middle of a lot of stories right now, so we're in the bit in a bit of a, a holding pattern until we get close to Revolution on March third, when a lot of these storylines will wrap up. End quote. His final grade was a C plus. Okay, what we have with Dynamite this week is a case of a show that's a month away from a pay per view. So, as with AEW, in the case of transition. You're in a bit of a pause here. It's really good matches, good storytelling, etc. But a glaring thing here is that we're back to the one mansion promo segment for women on Dynamite. Just when Tony Khan was working on things, he gets sidetracked again. Not the worst Dynamite episode, but it's one that when you take away the dealer's choice matches, few things stand out as impactful. Dynamite gets a C plus. Fair. Fair. Now we get the TNA Impact, and wow. We started off the show with Nick Nemeth kicking on Trey Miguel, then a very intriguing post-match beatdown. Champ, push your berry. Uh, I'm giving this a big push. Really well done. It's clear that, you know, Nick Nemeth, the former Dolph Ziggler, is feeling a lot, you know, is feeling the same new breath of fresh air that a lot of the people who have been in WWE for so long and then are released and are out there into the wild, so to speak, you know, that feeling of freedom and being just being able to go out there and just wrestle and not have to do so much. I think he's starting to feel that and he's appreciating that. And of course he's at this robber with Steve Macklin who came out along with the rascals and they beat him up. We look, looks like we have a new, a, a new alliance with the rascals and Steve Macklin. I'm interested to see how that goes with the, that dynamic. But I'm giving this a big push. I give it a big push as well. It was a really good way to start out the show this week. The match was absolute electricity with a post-match beatdown that was lit as well. A lot for more storytelling. Overall, very strong big push here. Really good shit. Then we had Brian Myers taking on Kevin Knight. Champ, push your berry. Uh, I'm giving this a push border on a big push. It's great to see Kevin Knight back in the fold with TNA. Uh, afterwards, it looked like the system was trying to get the drop drop on Kevin Knight, but Kushida, his taxi partner, Kevin Knight's taxi partner, got involved to send them uh, packing. So it looks like we might get the system versus the intergalactic jet setters, most likely at no surrender. Uh, they need to book it. So, yeah, I give it a push. I give it a push as well. This was a really good match. And you can tell for now Myers being in the system is really starting to get him through the mid-card. Like what happened with the learning tree. Knight looks good in this match as well. Just really, really good. Give it a push. And Champ, I of figured this was probably coming. The Chris Saban Mustafa Ali segment. Push or Barry. Big push. You had to know that Mustafa Ali was going to take a shot at the most decorated X Division champion in TNA history and the X Division championship as a whole. You knew it. You knew it was happening when it was announced that he signed with TNA. And sure enough, he did it. And the only way he knew how with his presidential-like address to Chris Saban, I approve this message. I approve this promo. Big push. I do. As my name is Dan the Dark Sith Lord, or as today sits Vengeance, and I endorse this promo segment with a major big push. This was lit. Sabin versus Ali is going to be fun to watch. Really good way to keep the destroy build up here. And uh, 
My question for WWE creative, Mustafa Ali is a national treasure. How could you let this not happen? Dumbasses. Then we had Masha Slamovich taking on Jody Threat, champ, Pusha Berry. Uh, I got to give this one a push boarding on a big push. Uh, it would have got big push, but the match was quite short. Uh, but it was a really good one. It seems like there's going to be a rivalry between MK Ultra and the team of Threat and Luna. So what a unique situation there. You had the BDSM crew against the very eccentric crew of Luna and Threat. But I give this one a push bordering on a big push. Really good use of Killer Kelly and Danny Luna on the outside of the ring. Good action between these two ladies who are in a program tag team wise together. I give it a push bordering on mega push on big push, but it was short, which made me think, is Tony Khan booking this? Because that was some Tony Khan shit right there with the short time. Then for our main event, we had the first of a two out of three match scenario. You had the grizzled young veterans taking on the ABC champ, Pusher Barry. Um, I'm giving this one a big push. I've really enjoyed this, and I can I I I feel like this match, this series is going to go three matches. It needs to. There's oh, nobody man. like I like GYV, but they should not win the tag titles two nil. They should not. They, I feel like the next match they have, the uh, ABC will win it, and it'll come down to either No Surrender or whatever pay-per-view is the next month where they will settle it and then it, let, let the chips fall where they may. But I, I really like this one. I give this one a big push. I give it a big bordering on Mega. This was extremely solid. I can't wait for match two, but I agree that this is going to go three. But I don't think ABC's dropping the titles. No offense to the GYV. They're one of my favorite worldwide tag teams. But they are not going to be involved with having these ta tag team titles. They're not. Plus, I want to make a couple notes here. I want to make a couple notes here with TNA. You could tell that Tony Khan wasn't booking the show because they had two women's matches, not one. You had your uh, TNA yeah. Knockouts World Tag Team Champions in action, Decay, uh, against a couple of, uh, of local yeah. talent uh, talent girls. And then he had uh, the, the issues with MK Ultra and Luna and Threat. He also had quite a couple of backstage uh, non-in-ring uh, non uh, women's segments, including a look at Ash by Elegance, the former Dana Brooke, as well as Jordan Grace out, uh, they, them outlining Jordan Grace's process from getting from the Orlando TV tapers for TNA to being a part of Royal Rumble in yeah. Tampa and things like that. So the women had quite a bit of they had quite a bit of a showing on this week's episode of Impact. So I give they big did. props to, to the crew there for really showcasing their knockouts division, highlighted by Jordan Grace representing them in this pat in the, the Royal Rumble, where she was, you know, last over 19 minutes at number five. Q. Then we go on to SmackDown, where we had a very intriguing opening segment. Then you had Kevin Owens taking on Austin Theory, champ. Um, I'm giving this one a big push. I've, I, I've said it so many times, but I'm going to continue to say it. When they brought Logan Paul in at first and tried to make him, you know, had him as a heel, but then switched into a babyface after the Miz attacked him, it just didn't work out. 
this is the Logan Paul we were supposed to have from the entire the entirety of his time in WWE. He started off good. He's selling KO. He's not getting a rematch. Austin Theory gets involved and everything like that. So, yeah, I think this is the Logan Paul we should have had from the start. Not a some uh, like Logan Paul trying to be a white me babyface. It's just not him. It's just not him. So I give it a big push. Look, I give it a big bordering on mega push. Look, pull over the pot. I get the story here. If you have to go through a gauntlet and door to possibly get another match at WrestleMania, although it's been done time and again, I don't mind it. The opening segment was good. KO versus Theory was an absolute slapper start to finish, as you would expect from those two. And as Champ said, this is the Logan Paul we needed from the get-go. Because Logan Paul... No offense meant to anyone. He and his brother are genuinely disliked to begin with. So presenting Logan Paul as a white meat baby face was a big mistake. We're seeing the Logan Paul that we all know and despise now. Big, boring on mega. We had a four-way contenders match as to who would challenge Priest and Ballard next of the Judgment Day for the WWE and just three tag team championships. Champ, push your berry. Well, actually, the matchup was determined who would face a winner of another four-way on Raw yeah. to determine who would face the Judgment Day at Elimination Chamber. And I'm going to give this one a push border on a big push. I'm so happy the Bruiserweight's back. I don't think I've said it enough how happy I am that the Bruiserweight is back. Like, he is back, back, dead ass. And the fact that they won and now they're a step closer to challenging the Judgment Day. Can we put the tag titles on the Bruise on British Strong Style, please? 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 Push border on Big Push. Take the LWO, Legato Del Fantasma. Pretty deadly. We know I dub is the Bruiserweight Boys, and what you get is absolute awesomeness, start to finish. All the interwoven stories made sense here, made for really good fucking wrestling as well as entertainment. Big push, bordering on mega push. Then Bailey had her promo where she called her shot, and what we knew was coming finally happened. Champ, push your berry. Sometimes the people you thought were your friends, sometimes you have to prove them wrong. Bailey said that. That was a bar. The moment that she spoke to them in Japanese, they knew the jig was up. Mm -hmm. They knew it was up. And then she closed out the segment with, and about that announcement after they jumped her, but she came back with a lead pipe and knocked two of the two of them on their ass and almost got after EO. But she closed out the segment by saying, and about that announcement, EO Sky, I'll see you at WrestleMania. This gets my second mega push of the week. They had to find a way to get it around to that. There was no way it was going to be Bailey going to Raw to challenge Rhea for that championship, especially after the segment that happened Monday with uh, with Beyond, uh, with Nia coming in and saying, "Nah, Rhea's mine." They had to find a way to make Bailey versus EO, and we knew that the tension was there. It finally exploded, and it was brilliantly done. So I give this one a mega push. Thank you very much. Look, 
Really key callbacks to 2005 here when Dave Batista heard Flair and Hunter talking shit that all broke loose with the announcement. This was well done here. And honestly, this is solid long-term story building here as we aren't getting Hugger Bailey back, but more of a badass baby face, and I am down for that. Give this a mega push. Then, Tiffany Dratt. Stratton made her main roster Smack Friday Night Smackdown debut, taking on Meechan. Champ, push your berry. I'm giving this one a push, bordering on a big push. I, I believe that Stratton is really leaning into the cocky heel thing, but celebrating and posing after every kind of move is kind of it's kind of overkill. I think that over time she'll learn to kind of like limit that a little bit, like. Not at, not every move deserves for you to pose to the crowd and things yeah. like that. Only like a big move should we should get up and be like like I'm it's tippy time. I'm the best to stand a third. Uh, but Meechan was a good opponent for her for a main roster debut, as she was able to show off the prettiest moonsault ever to sixteen over sixteen thousand fans instead of just a couple hundred in the performance center. So I thought that was a great moment for. Her. Look out, boys and girls. Uncle Sis has told you how good Stratton was in NXT, and now you get to see her on SmackDown every week. This was a good match for Stratton to de debut on SmackDown, and she's going to be one of the next big things going forward, I think. Meechan remembers when it was like when someone gave her a shot, did it in turn for Stratton. I would have said bordering on Mega, but the posing and everything after every single move, Really got to me. Big push. Then we get to the closing segment. Champ, push your berry. So, Roman Reigns really took a shot at Seth Rollins. When he mentioned Seth Rollins' name and no one reacted, he said, exactly, no pop. That's fucked up. That's fucked up. And then he continued to cook Rollins by saying, quote, I work 10 times less than you and make 10 times more than you. Roman Reigns is an asshole. <laughs> Roman Reigns is an asshole. Then he went on to say, Cody, yeah. I'm not going to beg you like the other guy. You could be the world's best number two or take another crack at the number one. But then after that, Cody comes out. He says about finishing the story. He says he's going to finish the story against Roman, but then swerves and says not going to be a WrestleMania before saying that the per one of the people that he counseled with is someone that he knows very well before the Rock's music hit and everybody lost their collective fucking minds. And then after the Rock showed his love and respect to Cody and Cody stepped aside, all we got was to close out the show, the two cousins staring at each other. No, no words were said. No, no gestures made. No actions taken against each other. Just a simple stare-off, which spoke more volume than any promo I've watched in the last several months, which is why this gets my third mega push of the week! I mean, there was nothing... Nothing, nothing about this this whole set. Everything about the segment felt cool, felt good, except for the fact that we're not getting the chance, Cody, the chance to finish the story. But the face off between the Rock and Roman really sold this segment. 
it really sold it. So I'm giving this a mega push. And thank you to my man Mike O for resubscribing for 29 months, 23 months in a row. So appreciate you, my friend. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Sith, what did you think about this segment? Big Mike. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You mean to tell me that after a year of building up Cody back, having him go through so many programs to finish the fucking story, the rug has been pulled out of him from under him again? I was afraid this was going to happen back before the shit hit the fan with Brock, Vince, Punk being injured. When all of that went down, I was like, I got a sinking feeling about this. Crazy. Creative-wise, I think it's a bad call. It'll bring in money at the end of the day, but for now, people aren't going to care when the, too much when the story ends. I give it a big push, bordering on mega push, as I can't give it a mega push because of this creative direction. It goes back to something I've said over the last year. If Roman were to retain at WrestleMania, no one's going to care when he finally gets dethroned because people are going to come out and say, why couldn't happen sooner? So, by, yeah. By the way, right Seth, it's, by the way, Seth, it's funny. When we were talking about this uh, earlier on in the podcast during News and Notes, you made reference to uh, the WrestleMania 9 situation with Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Well, it's funny because Eric Beeson had the following to say about this segment uh, in his, in his uh, recap. And with, quote, oh. and with that, the year-long journey back to WrestleMania and the undisputed WWE Universal Championship victory that eluded Rhodes in Los Angeles was for naught. Worst of all, how it was all handled here lacked sense, felt unnatural, and did a disservice to the American nightmare. Rhodes stepping aside for Rock felt all too much like the horrend horrendous conclusion of WrestleMania 9, where Bret Hart did the same for Hulk Hogan. It hurt Hart and took him a solid year to claw his way back to the top of the company again. End quote. There was more, but I just wanted to highlight that section yeah. because you made that exact same point about almost two hours ago. And I just saw that. I was like, wait, there's no way. <laughs> well, it's because I was 19 when that happened. It's still fresh in my fucking head. Where it comes to worst endings of WrestleMania, that's number one for me. Because by 93, I was yeah, burned I was, out I of yeah, I was nine going on ten. I remember that. Yeah. All right. And, grades from say we're sticking with, with the grades from Eric Beeston. Even Dave LeGreca pointed it out too. All right. Logan Paul kicking off the festivities on SmackDown and then Kevin Owens versus Austin Theory. All got a B plus. A minus. By the way, he makes a, a he makes a great Eric Beeson makes a great mention here in his takeaways that Corey Graves becoming the play-by-play -play announcer for SmackDown makes him the first pro wrest former pro wrestler to be a play-by-play -play man on play-by-play -play commentator in WWE since Gorilla Monsoon. Big That's some big shoes to fill, sir. Absolutely. That's big cheese to fill, but Graves is really, really good. So I expect good things to come from that. Fatal four-way tag team contenders match. That gotta be. It's just good shit. A minus. 
Bailey makes a WrestleMania decision. That got an A. A plus. Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits versus the Final Testament. That got a C plus. B minus. That was actually better than I expected. Love the fact that now B Fab's involved, so now she could be yes. the neutralizer for Scarlet. So I like that. I mean, she's had all those backstage interactions with Bobby Lashley, and you're wondering when is this going to all come together? It came together Friday night. Day off, and it does. Meechin versus Tiffany Stratton. That got a C plus. B plus. Mate, Mike, you was one. You were a year old from when WrestleMania Nine aired, dude. How, how fucking young are you, and how old am I? I know how old Sith is with his old ass. Anyway, <laughs> um, Cody Rhodes' decision. He gave it an A, but here's what he put down: "Quote only for the buzz the segment will generate. From a creative execution yeah. perspective, it left a lot to be desired. That is why I gave it a mega push." Because of the buzz that it created. Creatively, I'm on the fence with it. But hopefully, with where, how they follow up with this is what will either bring me on the side of favoring this or the side of being like, I hate this shit. You'll know how I feel come Thursday. Because Thursday, you've got this big, huge deal happening in Vegas. Uh, Thursday yeah, press conference. Peacock. That'll determine a lot about how I feel about this. So we'll see what happens. But I gave it a name minus. I couldn't give it a mega because of bad creative. And in his overall grade, quote, this was the sort of of Rhodes WrestleMania episode of SmackDown that fans love. It was noteworthy in that it featured the return of The Rock and the setup for what is almost certain to be a main event clash with Roman Reigns in Philadelphia. The revelation that Bailey knew what Damage Control was up to all along and her official challenge to EO Sky for the showcase of the Immortals and introduced some new faces with questions about which brand they will call home. Add to that a spotlight for Logan Paul and his feud with Kevin Owens, and you have plenty to sink your teeth into. The fact that the uh, that ongoing stories featuring LWO and Legato Del Fantasma, as well as Bobby Lash and the Street Province versus the Final Testament, were not sacrificed in the process only helped to make this one of the better broadcasts in the last six months or so. That finale, though, needs a monumental explanation, and quote, his final grade was an A. This was a really good episode of SmackDown if you leave aside the closing bait and switch ending here. This is one of the best SmackDowns post-Rumble ever, and there's no discarding that at all. You have Tiffany Stratton debuting on SmackDown. The tease that Jade Cargill could possibly be on Friday nights. KO having to work his way towards another shot at Logan Paul, possibly. The Bruiserweight Boys, they are going to be a solid tag team that I hope will dethrone Priest and Balor. Bailey calling her shot. All of that was fucking great. But then you get to the closing segment, and although Rollins, Cody will be a slapper and a banger, delaying the story makes me feel like, okay, what now? SmackDown gets an A- minus this week. It's a really good show with a controversial, with a hotly controversial ending. 
By the way, what was also not mentioned was the fact that Naomi had announced that she had signed to and will be assigned to SmackDown yeah. along with Tiffany Stratton. Braun Breaker is actually undecided, which means they're calling him up. But will he be on Raw? Will he be on SmackDown? We'll find out uh, most likely this coming week. But that's an interesting development there is the fact that Braun is being um, being called up. I would put him on Raw. I put him on Raw. You have a lot you could do with him on Raw. And SmackDown right now is overloaded with guys who throw him on Raw. He would be awesome on Monday nights. And, and plus, hold on. Plus, another thing, also, another thing to think about is that with Braun being called up, I read this report that hmm. Brock was supposed to be in a program with Dom, Dominic Mysterio. Because Dom, it would have eliminated him from the Royal Rumble, but instead Dom eliminated Braun. So I would put Braun on Raw to feud with Dominic going into WrestleMania. Yeah. Like they plan to do with Brock. It's Good worth call. a shot. It's worth a shot. Anyway, let's talk about Rampage. Yeah, Rampage. Friday night, Rampage. We had Top Flight versus Private Party. Champ, Pusher Berry. Uh, I'm giving this a push, bordering on a big push. Another solid matchup. This time they had Action and Dre down to make sure that Quinn didn't use the ropes again. Quinn tried to do it. Didn't work. They ended up losing. So now we're going to get a rubber match between these two teams, and I'm here for it. I'm giving this a big push. We've seen these guys link up together in the ring, but this time it was a bit scaled back from the nonstop spots, and I dig it a lot. Not accepting the handshake after the match means we're getting a buffer match in time. I'm here for it. Give it a big push. And Champ, I was able to find five things to mention here. Then we had okay. Big Bill and Absolute Ricky Stocks taking on Alex Reynolds and John Silver of the Dark Order. Champ, push your berry. A uh, decent eliminator matchup. You knew that the Dark Order wasn't going to win this one, and uh, it was it was it was fair for what it was. I'll give it a push. I give it a push, and here's why: it was a good showcase for Bill and Starks. They look like baby faces here the end of the day. Now they have their match one Stan against Sting and Darby. This was a good match to get them ready. Give it a push. Then Willow Nightingale took on Queen Emanita. Champ, push your berry. Another solid matchup. Give it a push. Uh, I like the fact that Queen Amanada signed on with AEW. Now she's getting more TV time. Uh, that dynamic with Stokely Hathaway and Chris Statlander and Willow is absolutely fucking great. So give it a push. It is. And Amanita, Amanata is becoming a fixture on Rampage, which is good, but she'll need some W's here at some point. Strong match, a lot more storytelling. I give it a push bordering on a big push. Then here comes the shit kicker. Willow and Statlander backstage. Push your berry. Big push. Again, I just mentioned it. That dynamic is absolutely amazing. And then when Soraya and Ruby and uh, Harley Cameron came into the frame and started arguing, Stokely Hathaway told Dawson's Creek out of Team Dawson's Creek out roll out. I said, okay, dude, you're an ass. Uh, this gets a big push, though. I like this dynamic for real. Big push. Uh, sets up a match for next week on Rampage. Continues the Willow Chris Stokely 
a storyline which is still cooking. And honestly, it's one of the best things happening right now for the AEW women, aside from Timeless Tony and Deanna Perrazzo. Then our main event, the CMLL invasion continues. Yet Mystico, Bolado Jr., Mascara Dorado, and Hikera, Hishira taking on Matt Menard, Angela Parker, Matt Seidel, and Christopher Daniels. Champ, Pusha Berry, our main event. Uh, main event would get a push. It was a fine main event. It's a lot of heads to be keeping an eye on and things like that. Uh, Hechicero is like the bigger of the luchadors. And then, of course, Volador Jr., I've seen plenty of him, along with Mascato Dorado and Mystico. This is my, I think, I've seen some of his uh, Hechicero, I think, in New Japan for Fantastico Mania, but that you're getting a lot from, you know, getting to see a lot of them. And of course, you know, you have the veterans in Seidel and, and Daniels, and of course, Cool Hand Edge and Daddy Magic. Fair matchup. It gets a it gets a push from me. Push. I know a lot of people won't be in for the invasion angle of CMLL versus AEW, but this has potential, though. Note to Tony Khan, make sure that unlike the Impact AEW storylines, this gets more even-handed with CML getting over as well as AEW. Good way to ramp up Rampage match-wise. Give it a push. All right, Dr. Chris Mueller is back with us for grades for oh. AEW Rampage. Private Party versus Top Fly. He gave it a B+. Uh, B plus, love that match. Dark Order versus Big Bill and Ricky Starks. He gave that one a C plus. I give it a B minus. That was that was a strong fucking match. Willow Nightingale versus Queen Aminata. He gave that a C plus. I give that a B. Huh. And then our main events, the CMLL Luchadors against Team AEW. He gave that a B. B minus. And his final word, quote, Friday's episode of Rampage is not going to stand out in the history books, but it was a decent way to spend an hour. Every match was entertaining in its own way, but none of them stood out at all. Top Flight vs. Private Party was the best of the night, but it didn't have much competition. Uh, the ongoing story with Willow, Statlander, and Hathaway has been fun, so hopefully management keeps them together for a little bit. All in all, this is the kind of rampage that will end up being overshadowed by everything we saw this week. And quote, his final grade was a C plus. Rampage has had a good change in the last two months or so as AEW has gone away from just just trying to have an hour-long show that's there to something that's worth watching on a Friday night, or in my case, Saturday mornings. All of the matches had varying degrees of importance. The backstage segments allowed for more matches to be built and more storyline development. Here's hoping that this is a sign going forward that even post possible new AEW media rights deal for, you know, AEW overall, that this is a sign going forward for Rampage. Rampage gets a B minus. There. Now we go to Collision. This is the other key reason why Champ and I decided to postpone until today, midday, as opposed to last night, so we can have a full week in review. And it opened up with Eddie Kingston taking on Brian Keith. Champ, I'm separating the post-match here, so the match itself, push your berry. Big push. Uh, Brian Keith has been absolutely impressive uh, in his um, when he has his appearances on AEW or Ring of Honor. Eddie Kingston is just such a workhorse of a, of a wrestler and just so real to the core. You have to appreciate it, so give it a big push. 
I give it a big push bordering on mega push. This match was nothing short of a banger start to start things off with collision last night. What a fucking match. If you wanted proof that Kingston was going to put people over and defeat this triple crown, triple crown, you got it here. Keith looked like a million bucks. Then the post-match pusher Barry. Big push. Daniels, first off, congratulations to Brian Keith, who is officially all elite. Uh, he is yes. signed with AEW, and I think he's deserted. And it's great that it happened in his home state of Texas, where he made a name for himself on the independence in Texas. But now he's all elite. He's got a, a home now in AEW. And then also, Brian Danielson is a dick. He's a dick. He comes out, he basically. He passes Eddie Kingston like he's just a visitor, like he ain't even there, to raise the hand of Brian Keefe and congratulate Brian Keefe for being all elite. Dickhead, but big push. I give it a big push, AO. We're hopefully getting Kingston versus Danielson at Revolution because this was a lot of fun. Having Brian Keith being all elite and having Kingston call out Shivani, Captain Obvious, for proving that Kingston. You know, proves that Kingston is a national treasure stopgap. Danielson playing mental verbal games with Kingston is also a good thing. These guys have a solid match, hopefully at Revolution. Then, Caro took on Brian Danielson, champ, Pusher Berry. This is where I was really impressed with Hechicero. It was in this matchup against Brian Danielson. Mm -hmm. This gets a big push from me. Abs like the the counters upon counters and the like it was just this was a technical wrestler wrestling fans dream match right here even though it's with a, a luchador that not very many people have heard of but just the action that we got from here with the moves and the counter moves and stuff like that was just pure technical wrestling at its finest and so i'm giving it a big push well well done Definitely well done. This gets a big push, bordering on mega push for me. It was a really solid TV match, and it got more people invested in the CML invasion storyline, which is really good. You know, Hachero looked really, really awesome in this match. And this performance with Danielson, mwah, chef kiss, poetry, motion. Then Queen Emanita went up against the professor of professional wrestling, Serena Deeb. Champ, pusher, Barry, ah, my baby's back. Push, 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 push. Serena D, pride of Oakton, Virginia. DMV yeah. stand up. She is absolutely showing that there's very little ring rust, if any, on her after being off for nearly two years uh, due to various health issues and injuries. Uh, but she mm -hmm. had a really good showing. Queen Aminata, once again, show, having a good showing. Give it a push, boarding on a big push. Uh, same here. This was a solid return for the professor of professional wrestling, Serena Deep. Uh, Aminata looked, looked strong in defeat. And Deep handing a dojo flag to a fan before the match, oh, becomes a regular thing with her. Give it a push, bordering on Big Push. Then, your main event, we had FTR and Daniel Garcia taking on the patriarchy, Champ Push or Barry. Uh, give this one a push, boarding on a big push. Very nicely done, the matchup. Uh, wasn't like nothing really stood out to me, but at the same time, I like the fact that Garcia continues to, to pile up wins ever since turning face. 
I, they, there's a bright future for this kid in AEW and it's showing, especially in the trios division. I have a prediction that F, that 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 this this trios team that is being known as FT Garcia could end up becoming AEW World Trios champions by double or nothing. Ooh, good one. I give this a big push. Look, another strong six-man tag match to close the show, start to finish. The more I see of Nick Wayne in the ring, along with Garcia, the more I know these two young guys are destined for much more down the road. This match was a really good match to wrap up what was a really good Saturday night episode of Collision. Give it a big punch. Absolutely. And once again, Dr. Chris Mueller with the grace for Collision with, with no final word. I mean, uh, he gave Eddie... He gave Eddie Kingston versus Brian Keith the grade of a B plus. A minus. Hechicero versus Brian Danielson. He gave that an A minus. A minus. Agreed. That ruled. It really did. Hook in a two on one handicap match against the Outrunners. He gave it an incomplete because it was basically a squash. Yeah, basically a squash, but I give it a C plus. I swear to God, the Outliners, they, they look like a typical generic 80s tag team. Like, you saw that shit when you was growing up. They look like the, the genetic 80s tag team for, in one of the Southern Territories. Sam wrong. What? I said yeah. the Outline, the, the out deal. I'm telling you, they look like one of them generic tag teams from the 80s in the Southern Territories. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Queen Aminata versus like Serena D. That you would see on either Mid-Atlantic or in the WWF that you show up for a couple of minutes, you see them against a big tag team, and they do the job correctly. Right. Serena yeah. D versus Queen Aminata got a B. I agree. B. Red Velvet versus Vert Vixen got a C. C plus. And then the Patriarchy versus FT Garcia got a B. B plus. And again, no final word from Doc Chris. What is your final word, though? Doc, you're slacking my guy with the incomplete for hooks, handicap, squash, which I gave a C plus and lack of a final grade. I kid. Doc is a cool guy, nevertheless. All kidding aside, start to finish, this is what Collision should be at the end of the day. The Saturday night show that continues the story, builds and adds intrigue for future episodes and or a pay-per-view. The only low point for me was the hook squash, as I do wonder what's next, as it seems like he's in what Wardlow is in, for a while booking-wise, where he just gets nothing but squashes. Collision gets to be a definite must-see episode-wise, but yeah, I do worry where it comes to what will happen with Hook. Yeah, that is a, a big worry as well. All right, that was it for your week in review. It is now time for final thoughts, the part of the podcast where we give our thoughts on things wrestling-related or non-wrestling-related, and we plug with our podcast for the upcoming week. Of course, we always start off with the dark Sif Lord himself. Sif, the floor is now yours. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so with my final thoughts this afternoon, there is a trigger warning because of content that will be mentioned, so certain topics do offend you. I advise you to skip about four minutes, then go to Champ's final thought. Okay, now that I've got that out of the way, with all the talk about the Vince McMahon allegations that have surfaced, I have a serious question for the pro wrestling industry as a whole. When the fuck will the pro wrestling industry finally grow the fuck up already? 
look, I'm no prude, but whoever is accepting these actions as well, saying boys will be boys or a bunch of guys trying to act the way they did in the 80s is just absurd here at the end of the day. day. Tales of abuse, excessive drug use, sexual assault, etc. are nothing new. It's been happening since I was a kid, but people are just trying to sweep this under the be behavior under the carpet with NDAs. And at some point you have to say it's enough is enough and something has to be done overall. I've seen people self-destruct because of drug addiction before, including myself in my teen years. I've spoken about it here candidly, and it's not easy at all to relive. But at some point, you have to settle and ask yourselves when we stop allowing this to take place. The NWA last year at a pay-per-view shot themselves in the foot with a cocaine spot, whether it was real cocaine or just a fucking impersonation. They cost themselves likely a terrestrial TV deal and are set instead stuck on streaming on the CW app and YouTube. Well done. Matt Riddle got popped for a 60-day suspension for fucking his shit up as well. Jeff Hardy got popped for DUI and went through rehab and has to prove he's staying clean and sober now in AEW. Not to mention all the issues of the past involving other pro wrestlers in the past, but hey, nothing to worry about here. I can't bullshit on that, as this industry still hasn't learned the lessons of the past at the end of the day. You can flaunt a drug policy in my face all you want, but it doesn't deter people from falling into an age-old trap where it comes to drugs and alcohol. Not when you have cocaine spots or stories where someone's demons are in the spotlight for a fucking storyline that shit has consequences at the end of the day. Sexual assault allegations against Vince and Johnny Ace are really disgusting, and I think whoever had knowledge of those activities and allowed it, should, should be fired with cause immediately stop gap. Because for anyone else in this business who still thinks that this is appropriate. Ric Flair shouldn't be on TV right now, but is because of a fucking sponsorship for fuck's sake. This pathetic and illicit behavior is still allowed at the end of the day via enabling these idiots to be on TV in the case of Vince and Johnny Ace still allowed to maintain their jobs via NDAs until the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or Forbes comes out and says something. Shit, AEW is trying to meet NDA chains against one of their wrestlers in booze because it's a babyface wrestler for now, and that just makes things worse at the end of the day. As far as Patrick Clark's apology is concerned, his actions going forward will prove if he is indeed sorry. Just like with Enzo and Cass, they had to grow the fuck up and prove that they were worth the shit, which they did indeed after their shenanigans. Enzo and Cass, if you look at them now, they are a total 180 than what they were several years ago. Bottom line, pro wrestling needs to grow the fuck up where it comes to these scandals. My God, I feel like we're having a Dark Side of the Ring episode play out with this shit. I mean, enough is enough, I say. No wonder why people have tuned out on the product overall. This shit continues to happen, and people don't see good enough actions to justify watching pro wrestling. Time for the professional wrestling industry to grow the fuck up once and for all already, or else... Risk losing more than just fans. And that, my friends, is my final thought. Submitted now to Spotify. You get a print in the next hour or two. 40 prequels, requels, and sequels that I do enjoy ranked. 
that Sith Spacement about to be on Spotify, that said champ, I yield the floor. On January 31st of this year, it officially ended the longtime 17-year relationship between New Japan Pro Wrestling and its major star, Kazuchika Okada. Uh, Okada joined New Japan Pro Wrestling back in 2007, um, joining their Noge Dojo as a young lion. He started off as a junior heavyweight before being upgraded to a heavyweight. In 2010, he was sent to TNA for <coughs> excuse me his learning excursion, where he spent a he spent 20 months working there, but mostly working on Explosion with some um, appearances on Impact. He performed as Okato, who was the the sidekick um, <coughs> for Samoa Joe. <coughs> After his run in TNA ended. He returned in January 2012, uh, repackaged as the Rainmaker. And he immediately challenged the then face of New Japan Pro Wrestling, the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi. A month later, he would win in, in Osaka. He would win the, A, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. He will also go on to win the G1 Climax uh, the, the following year. He was <coughs> named the MVP of 2012. Then he won the o the New Japan Cup the following year in March and then regained the IWGP Heavyweight title from Tanahashi in April. He held the championship for 13 months before losing it in 2014 in May. Three months later, winning his second G1, he would go on to win his third G1. He would go on to win back-to-back G1s in 2021 and 22, making him only the second, having the second most G1 Climax tournament wins behind Masahiro Chono. <clears throat> Okada has won the IWGP Heavyweight Championship a total of five times. He headlined NJPW's biggest event, Wrestle Kingdom, a massive eight times <coughs> wrestlemania wrestle kingdom 7 8 10 11 12 14 16 and 17 and um now he's also held the world heavyweight championship twice uh in his career and now he ends his new japan career having held his only tag team championship in his career the never open way six man tag team championships and you're wondering, why am I talking about him like he's dead? No, he's not dead. But he has a decision to make on where he's going to go. Will he go to WWE, where the style might be more suitable for him with the amount of uh, damage he's put on his body in his 30-plus years of, in his time in wrestling? He's 36 years of age. So the, the WWE style might be more conducive to having a much longer career. But the downside is that he may have to move him and his family from Japan to Orlando, Florida. I don't think he's a fan of that. But then you have AEW. He can make a little bit more money. The style is a little bit more than more away from what WWE is. It's a lot more wrestling, so it might be a little bit more taxing. But the schedule is a little bit more forgiving. And then he won't have to move to the United States. He can come in from Japan, be here for a couple weeks to do shows, and then go back home. Whatever decision that Okada makes... Whoever gets Okada <coughs> is getting a generational talent. A man who 
for 17 years was the absolute face of a promotion that had its dark days but it was brought up by Tanahashi, but then Okada took the reins and ran with it. So I think that it's going to, I, I, I think that he, whoever gets this, this man is going to be very lucky. It's crazy that in those 17 years that Okada spent in New Japan Pro Wrestling, about a year and a half or two of those were marred by a pretty much racist if I'm going to be honest, gimmick that he had an impact with the TNA, which led to TNA and New Japan having no relationship with each other whatsoever for a number of years because of how Okada was treated and how he was booked. <clears throat> of course, that relationship has since been reconnected, and now they work together, as you know, with exchanging talent, with talent from TNA being taken apart in the G1 and in Best of Super Juniors and Super Junior Tag League, and then, of course, New Japan talent coming over to Impact and being a part of their shows. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I, I would love for, for Okada to stay in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but it's clear that he's done everything he needed to do outside of cap trying to capture IWGP Junior IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Gold or the Never Championship. So it's clear that he has a new focus and new purpose for wrestling when he's in the prime of his career. So I wish Okada the best of luck. I hope he makes the best decision for himself, his family, and his career, and continue to make it raid. On the professional wrestling world. And that my friends. Is my final thought. Sports on the Hill podcast. Is actually off this week. Because it's the all star weekend. And there's nothing else to talk about. The Super Bowl isn't until next. The Super Bowl isn't until next week. So we don't have much to talk about. We Even though the, the commanders. Didn't make a head coaching hire. We're still not going to have a show. But we will be back the following Monday to talk about the Caps week that was post-All-Star break. We will also talk about the Super Bowl. We will also talk about the new Commanders head coach, former D.C. of the Cowboys, Dan Quinn, and plus whatever other hires they make between now and the next pod in that next podcast. So make sure you check it out by following twitch.tv slash RobbieG underscore sports O-T-H-P uh, to make sure you check out the streams for the podcast. All right, and with that, we are done with this week's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure you check us out on social media, facebook.com slash nospotspod, twitch.tv slash true nospotspod, twitter.com slash true nospotspod, and tiktok.com slash at true nospotspod. You can check out the SIP on both Twitter and TikTok at TrueSipDan74. And with that, we say thank you for listening. We will be back next week where we will recap Vengeance Day and the fallout from Vengeance Day and all everything else, including the uh, results from the Osaka New Beginning show, including the uh, a big-time steel cage match between the United Empire and the Bullet Club War Dogs, all of that on the next episode. So until then, we'll see you next week. Peace out. Have a good one. All right. No raid because we will be back in about four hours to talk about Vengeance Day. So make sure that you have your notifications on for when we go live. We're expecting a lot of support yes. and got everybody coming in because a lot of people should have Peacock. Come on in. Watch Vengeance Day with us. It's going to have fun. I'm going to have my wine. I'm going to have my cigar. And we're going to have a good time. So make sure you join us in about four in about four hours. We'll see you then. See ya.
Hey guys, it's Champ here. We hope you enjoyed that episode of No Spots Podcast. If you did, make sure you are following us so you can be notified when we upload new episodes. And make sure you follow us on all social media platforms, facebook.com slash nospotspod, as well as on Twitter, at True No Spots Pod. We will catch you on the next episode. Myself, Donnie Wrestling, and The Sith for the No Spots Podcast on the True Radio Network.